Jimmy, here's the reality of it, okay? You know I'm a realist, right? Yes, I do. So on this gorgeous sun-splashed Friday, which typically in Indianapolis, the storyline would be that it's November, we're like two weeks from Thanksgiving or whatever we are from Thanksgiving. The puffy jacket's almost out. Totally, right? And yet it is like gorgeous. It kind of, we've turned back the clock. We moved, We fell back an hour and then we also fell back like a month because it really feels like early October. It's right? not a bad trade-off. That would typically be the biggest story in Indianapolis that we would lead with today. Or the fact that Indiana's like college football team has been a disaster and yet here they are with three winnable games to finish out and would that make them bowl eligible and set up the possibility that Purdue, the other team in the state in the Big Ten level, could be the spoiler for the Hoosiers three weeks from now trying to get bowl eligibility. That would be a big talking point maybe. And then, of course, the big one would be the fact that the Colts are in Germany. The fact that I learned yesterday that hello in German is hello. I had no idea that that, that well, was. Well, you got hello. You got to you got to got to emphasize it a bit. It's the no, dialect to get you there. That's not hello at all. It's very I'm very <laughs> thorough with it. It's hello, right? <laughs> hello is hello. I had no idea. Like I had no idea in Germany. You say goodbye, right? I thought it was like au revoir, something like that. What is it? You, apparently, it's just goodbye is goodbye, right? Yeah. All this time, I thought, uh, like, what were we doing at Kings Island over there in the little German village, right? All that time, I had no idea that all I had to do was walk around saying hello to everybody. I was saying what's up. They didn't know what I was talking about. You know why? Because I wasn't saying hello. Didn't know that. But the Colts being in Frankfurt, Germany, they played overseas before, but Germany is cool. They're going against a team in New England that theoretically, if you believe some reports in Boston, could be landing the knockout blow to Bill Belichick's time with the Patriots, or at least the first time that he's going to have to go to the corner with his eyes swollen shut and they've got to cut him to to get him a second life. That would be a big storyline. But the big storyline is the fact that last night, two things happened at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The first was that they, and I have actually an old man yelling at Cloud's opinion on this. Yes. Love one of those on a Friday. The city court. Okay. Didn't look a lot different, to be honest with you. They used like some weird fuchsia coloring. Right. Um, the city court, and I forgot, by the way, Jimmy, you have something to present to us here talking about the Pacers, right? Indeed. Our, our buddy Paris is in studio with us, so he's temporarily taking the seat, but the, the, the alliteration for the P is still in play because we have, is, is it PD? Is yeah, P the Pacers, PD the Pacers, flamingo. Pink Flamingo, the victory flamingo is here. He shows up after every win. Actually, his legs were a little deflated, but not not after last night. The well, Pacers with a huge win at the fieldhouse. He now. had a costume party idea because they're playing the Patriots this week. He was trying to throw it back. That's right. So that's that's right. why he's got the deflated leg. Um, I like that. Thank you. It's easier to grip. <laughs> Here's the thing. The city court, it's it's fine. I kind of like the like older school look to it, kind of the faded look. Can I throw an idea about the city court for you? Mm-hmm. I feel like the city court, as you mentioned, kind of bland, and the in-season tournament court, way over the top. If you could kind of combine the two to balance each other out, I feel like you'd really have something special there. Meet halfway in the middle, right? Yes. Which is the logo. Um, here's my thought. All right. 
and this is the way my odd brain works before we get to talking about the fact the Pacers last night with a, a tremendous win despite the fact Damian Lillard was not there. Um, the Indiana Pacers are the Indiana Pacers, and they have made a marketing effort over the last several years to announce, to amplify, to cement, to secure, to reinforce to the state of Indiana that they are the Indiana Pacers. If you live in Lafayette and you're a Bulls fan because you got Bulls games when you were a kid on Lafayette television, whatever, and it was only two and a half hours to the United Center or Chicago Stadium, whatever, the Pacers said, you know, like, no, 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 you live in Lafayette. Like, we want you to be an India, a fan of the Indiana Pacers. And they went down for a couple of years and had training camp in Cincinnati because they wanted to try to get like people down in like the Milan and Lawrenceburg areas to know Connorsville like it's the Indiana Pacers right they're one of only how many teams in the state of or how many teams in the NBA are named for a state and not the city you got the Minnesota Timberwolves you got the Golden State Warriors you got the Utah Jazz um, you know the Indiana Pacers yet the jerseys say Indy Indy is a euphemism for Indianapolis they're not the Indianapolis Pacers Oh, this is where we're going. Okay. I was waiting it's for incons- the word. Okay. It's inconsistent. It defies not only the marketing brand of the Indiana Pacers, but it, it, it defies the name of the of the team. Yeah. Look now, at- I realize Golden State does wear the jerseys that says city, but Golden State, technically speaking, is, is, the, is the state of California's basketball team. The Pacers, I'm not the one that said, <laughs> I'm not the one that's gone out of the way to say it's in 49 other states it's basketball, but this is Indiana. I'm not the one that has said it's the state's game, the Indiana Pacers. But it's the Indiana Pacers. And if it's the Indiana Pacers, why are you coming out with a jersey that actually is not applicable to people in Elkhart, Richmond, Evansville, Bloomington, Terre Haute, and Gary? That's it. <laughs> I don't I don't have a retort to that old man yelling at cloud argument. I don't think it. it's old man yelling at cloud. No, no, I, don't I think, think it's factual. Like well, That's I, how you let off. That's factually why I, consistent, right? That's I, you're why, right. I'm not, no, you're right. I did say I'm going to sound like an old man yelling at clouds, yeah. The only return I have is they look cool. That's it. That's all I got. You think they look cool, though? I, I like them. I do. I thought they looked like they were off the sale rack at the dollar store. Man. So that means that the jersey that I bought is not going to have good resale value. That is what you're saying I, there. It not, is, I'm not selling it. I'm it is more intended it. to your demographic than mine, admittedly. Okay. But the good news about the city court and all that stuff. Now, now, yesterday we talked about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And at the end of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you remember Ed Rooney gets on the school bus. Yep. And the girl offers the gummy bear. And what does she say? I delivered a line yesterday. I don't First, have it today. First, she says, I'll bet you've never smelled a real school bus before. And then she says, gummy bear, they're really soft. It's been in my pocket all day. So during the game last night, they offered these fabulous cookies. And I thought, because again, people don't know this about me, Jimmy. I am very generous. Sure. And 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 literally, most people think query when interpreted means a question. And I didn't realize this. In German, query is query. But <laughs> query does mean generosity and thinking of others. Okay. It's a synonym. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I thought of you and I thought of Eddie. And Eddie is not here today. Uh, he's apparently exercising a PTO for CEO. So Nathaniel Atticus Finch, here you go. You're filling in for Eddie, so you get his goods. Uh, they, they were in my pocket during the game. If that grosses you out, I understand, but they are completely plastic, uh, plastic and sealed, seal wrapped. There you go. Thank you very much. Last night they were giving out of the game those fabulous, and they are good actually, soft cookies that are the floor of the Pacers um, 
city floor. And then that's exactly what the floor looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Not quite for scale, though. <laughs> it is not quite. That would be something, wouldn't it? Be a big cookie. So let me tell you what I think my observation, what happened last night that I witnessed. I'm at the game. I'm sitting there with my buddy Torian. The game's about to start. And I say to him, okay, how many is Giannis going to have? You got no Damian Lillard, right? Correct. How many is Giannis going to have? Torian went with 25. I went with 31. Both reasonable guesses. So things get underway. And at first, it wasn't like he was really dominant. I think he had maybe like 16 or 18 in the first quarter, which is obviously pretty darn good. But um, he, he kind of slowed down towards the half. But I think at half, he had, what, 23 or 25 at the half. But Giannis had this ability last night, and he and this does happen with him where he's offensively very aggressive. He was going down to the low post, and he was, whether it be during driving to the post or being fed into the post, quite frankly, the combination of him driving via like two dribbles from the three-point line and getting right to the basket, and he has an incredible ability to always know where the basket is. And I know that sounds ridiculous, Jimmy, but if you've played a lot of basketball, you know what I'm talking about where like you've got your back to the basket – or you're driving to the basket and you're looking down or you're looking at the defender and then all of a sudden when it comes time to put the ball up, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I'm way further in than I thought I was. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? It's like eyes in the back of your head in that scenario or just like a sixth sense of presence of knowing where the rim is at all times. Correct. And, and I think he has an unbelievable ability to differentiate, that, like to know at all times what's going on. And he was able to do it last night. And then you combine that with the fact that Obi Toppin – could not guard him. And I'm not picking on Obi Toppin there. I mean, we're talking about one of the best players in the world, right? Who is a physical freak. That's why his nickname is, you know, the Greek freak, right? Yeah. So It's a tough assignment for anybody. Totally. I witnessed something about midway through the third quarter, and I don't know why it took so long. And I don't know which assistant coach it was that necessarily came up with this, or Rick Carlisle. But I'm going to give a tip of the cap to the staff, to Rick Carlisle's coaching staff last night. Because something very interesting happened midway through the third quarter. You finally got your request fulfilled? What's that? You finally got your request fulfilled? Request. Yes. Which was? You've been pondering the last couple of weeks. When is the German gold medalist going to get some I don't know if you know this or not, but Tice in German is Tice. Is it? you know that? I didn't know that. That's crazy. So is Daniel. So weird. He came in and I said, hello. And he said, hello. Why did I struggle so much in high school German? I don't understand. Totally. Clearly, I didn't pay attention. Uh, you are Sorry, I was slow on the on the draw there on my request. You're right. I've been talking about Daniel Tice. That came a little bit later. They, they tried Daniel Tice, and I thought actually he was somewhat effective against Toppin, but, or excuse me, against Giannis, and he didn't have the foul trouble that Toppin had, although you know it was a much smaller sample size. But what they did was this. At one point during a timeout, I saw Lord uh, Lloyd Pierce, Mike Weiner, Ginny Buchek. I think it might have been Buchek that was the one that perhaps spearheaded this to Rick Carlisle. Or maybe it was Carlisle himself. I-, I will give equal credit to the Pacers coaching staff. But I want to give a tip of the cap to their assistants last night because they were very active in yelling out different ways to try to guard Giannis. 
in particular, Lloyd Pierce, well, Weiner and Buchek, those three, I mean, were, but, but Buchek in particular to me seemed to really be guiding them in half court sets as to what to do with Giannis. And what they did was this. I've talked before about when you play pickup basketball. Jimmy, when's the last time you played a game of pickup ball? Five months. And where were you? I was at a, I was filling in for a buddy's team in Greenwood. I can't remember where Half it was. Half court or full court? Full court. Okay. And you're out there, you're like, hey, I'm just out here to have some fun, hit a couple shots, get some exercise. Exactly. Right? Yep. And there's always that one guy. Usually it's a shorter white guy, usually has a lot of hair <laughs> on his shoulders, mid 40s. You know, the guy looks like if he, if he sneezes, he looks like a party favor. You know, he's just kind of gross, he's sweating, he's gelatinous. So you don't really want to be near him anyway. But he's like, checking you up at the opposite free throw line like he's in the middle of like a conniption fit and just drank a Red Bull with seven lines of meth. He's hunting down that 10-day, Jake. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? And it totally throws you out of your vibe, right? And last night, the Pacers basically said to Giannis, okay, you're having your way with either driving to the basket or having your way with having your back to the basket and getting fed on the post. So what we're going to do is we are going to start basically doubling you off ball when you don't have the ball within five feet of the midcourt line. And Giannis would cross the midcourt line, and when he was doing so, Bruce Brown, and then, to be honest with you, Andrew Nimhard a lot, Aaron Neesmith a lot. Matherin a time or two. Matherin. Those guys were were – meeting him like he was trying to drive from the Mississippi River to California and they were serving as state troopers before he got to Columbia, Missouri. And they're like, you're not going any further than right here. And so then what happened was Giannis A was completely taken out of his game in terms of trying to penetrate to the basket. So now he's got to kick it to the wings or try to get the ball into like the, the mid-operating area for the Bucks offensively, and if their shots aren't falling in that situation, it completely cut off the head of the snake. And it completely took the – literally, that was his kryptonite. His kryptonite was guard him as before the set can even begin. And if he's the one that's bringing the ball across the floor, meet him before he even gets within long three-point range and force him to kill his dribble. And then he just becomes another player, albeit a huge, massively, impressively chiseled one at six foot eleven. But he's just another player thirty feet from the basket, and that's where they they limited him. And then they started to come back. But I thought it was a brilliant. Again, I don't know why it took three quarters to come up with it, but the important thing is they did. Maybe I'm totally off base, and Eddie Gill's going to join us here in about 15 minutes, and he can give me better perspective. But to me, that was the difference in the game, and that's where the game completely swung. Because the one thing about the Indiana Pacers that separates them from most teams in the NBA is when their horse, Tyrese Halliburton, is having an off night, and Giannis was not having an off night. Damian Lillard was not playing. But when Giannis was then limited offensively via the defensive matchups on him, and he has to then facilitate around the horn for other players to hit shots. Chris Middleton's good player. Don't get me wrong. Connaughton's good player. But if their shots aren't consistently falling, they don't have enough diversity of option like Indiana does. And Indiana last night, you saw Buddy Heald comes into the game, can't hit the broad side of a barn for the first five shots he takes, but it doesn't. you don't worry about it because guess what? 
Like Nimhart hits a couple threes. Neesmith hits a shot. Matherin gets going, and Matherin down the stretch looks like, I'm the guy, I want the ball, get out of my way. And that's what you need. And Indiana had more get-the-hell-out-of-my-way guys late in that game than did the recent champion, I didn't say defending, but recent champion Milwaukee Bucks. I thought, Jimmy, despite the fact that Damian Lillard wasn't on the floor, that was a fabulous performance from Indiana. I completely agree. That's a game the Pacers should be proud of, even if Dame was not out there. Not just because it's one of those where a guy's having a night, a true night, I think the third highest scoring performance by an opponent against the Pacers all time, if I'm not mistaken. And a couple things with your observations. I don't think you can play that way against Giannis for four quarters, the way they implemented late. Like, if you're going to do that, you're going to tie yourself out. Eventually, it's going to fold and he'll find better options even if guys aren't stepping up at that point I felt like the time they decided to implement it in pockets here and there in the third and then fully operating underneath a double team mentality down the stretch limiting him scoreless for what the final four or five minutes massive key to the game is this Bucks team a finished product at this point no Chris Middleton had an injury riddled season last year and he's not currently himself And yes, Lillard wasn't out there, but they're still a recent champion and they have a superstar player and they're a team that you're chasing. And a week before, you got rocked. I understand Tyrese Halliburton wasn't there. I understand it was on the road. You get rocked by Boston and there's question marks about can you hang with real contenders? Yes, you need to see this matchup again and you will when Damian Lillard's out there because the reason the Pacers have all this depth is they're younger, they're more flexible. The Bucs are in an all-in mode where all their resources are allocated to two guys. Three guys, I guess, if you throw in Chris Middleton. But that's life in the NBA. I'm not faulting the Pacers for that. That's just the way it is. So is it fair to fully say that if you're a Pacers fan thinking, ah, going all the way this year now, that's a bridge too far for me. But if you want to say, maybe this team really is where I want them to be, which is sixth or better come postseason time, they're capable of that. When they're playing like that, and especially when Benedict Matherin's playing like he has the last two games. That's all I wanted going into this season was a step forward for your second-year top draft pick. And it's a two-game sample size, very, very small, but 24-10 and the last two nights for him. And defensively, he's taken a step forward compared to where he was last year. You can tell that mattered to him in the offseason. You can tell Rick Carlisle's coaching is sinking into that point. I need to see it over a further sample size. But if that is the Benedict Matherin that the Pacers have this year to accompany Tyrese Halliburton, to accompany Miles Turner, to accompany their depth. I might have been too weak saying six seed or better. It, it could be top four. They're in the mix right now. If it ended today, and I know it's early, but you've nearly played an eighth of the season, they would be the third seed in the East. Very early to crown them that it way. Is. But you measure this game and this sport in many pockets of the season. And so far, through nine games, if that's what you're getting, (laughs) not only is it a fun team, it's going to be a dangerous team. Uh, This from Justin, by the way. Jimmy, help your boy out. Let him know they're called City Edition jerseys, not State Edition jerseys. Uh, Again, I agree with that, except for that it's not me. It's the Pacers who have made a concerted effort to make sure that people know it's the Indiana Pacers. That, but trust me, they've gone, they have worked tirelessly to make sure that people to, to brand themselves as the state's NBA team. Uh, Minnesota's city jerseys say Minnesota. Utah's city jerseys say Utah. And previous city jerseys for the Pacers have not said Indy like that. 
Um, I don't know. I You were right. That is the way they branded themselves. I guess this is the educate portion of the show. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. That, that's that's my that's that's all I'm saying. Hey, they still have the Indiana on the bottom left, though. Does that count for something for you? Is it, is it written? I can't even tell. Is it written or is it the little logo of the state? No, it just says Indiana Pacers in the bottom left okay, on well, the sleeve. Cool. So you that still got some that, of it there. That counts somewhat. They're yes. not fully hiding away from the state But my point identity. being, it's not entirely impossible <laughs> to have a state name on the city jersey because clearly Minnesota and Utah decided to do exactly that. That's all I'm saying. Where is the line for the hype right now? Because I don't want to well, overjump it because it's nine games, but that's a quality win. And you got looking at position by position for this team. Yes, Buddy Heald shooting better would have been nice. You can nitpick at things here or there. But the way they played defensively down the stretch, if they're able to unlock that, they're a year ahead of schedule. If they're able to unlock what they have out of Benedict Matherin, you have your you have your second option. Like I get it, you can point to any night with the depth, the embarrassment of luxury they have there, with depth that any guy could be your tops your second top scorer any night next to Halliburton. But if Matherin takes that leap defensively and is able to nightly basis do what was asked of him by Rick Carlisle earlier this week, which is move without the basketball, operate without the basketball, if that's the leap forward, man, like I'm pacing myself. Didn't mean the pun, but I am. I'm 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 pulling the horses back a bit. But if that's what you're going to get, this team is going to be not just appointment television the rest of the way, but a surefire play. But they've got it, Jimmy. They've got to be consistent. Correct. You know, I, it is true. I mean, Sundance points out, and it's it's certainly a valid point. Look, Damian Lillard wasn't playing last night. Correct. I, I totally get that. That matters. But you, but you still have a game where here's why. Look, Giannis the, went for fifty. Bottom line like, is this. The bottom line is this. The bottom line is the Indiana Pacers last night went up. Here's the best way to summarize it. You ready? Sure. Last night, the Indiana Pacers wearing jerseys that strangely said Indy, despite the fact that Indy is a euphemism to 99.9% of the population to people of Indianapolis, not Indiana, although Eddie Garrison says he doesn't associate Indy with Indianapolis, per se. That's included in the summary? Eddie Garrison just texted me oh, okay. and said, and it's a good thing he's off today, because I um, I mean, I can't take seriously anybody who hasn't seen Shawshank, right, when it comes to pop culture references. Um, yeah, I know. Eddie Garrison texted and said, Michael Grady used to say Indy and the fans would say Anna. I don't automatically associate Indy to Indianapolis. Is he drinking on his day off? <laughs> I, listen, I, I know that I'm old and out of touch, but I'm telling you right now, Indy as spelled Indy's short I in, for Indianapolis. Yeah, but the way it is typed out, you pull 100 people on the street that correct. actually live here. What no is that one the is state saying, the city? Everybody's saying the city. Correct. No question. And, and again, to that point, I guess it is the city edition, so I, I somewhat get it. But last night, the Indiana Pacers, in a game where the Milwaukee Bucks may have been shorthanded, still were being dominated by a guy who is one of the best and most versatile players in the game and took complete and total control of the game. And the Pacers then, through a combination of strategic adjustment – and diversity of offensive firepower were able to overcome a historic performance within that building by a former MVP in the league who at one point used that kind of a performance to lift his team to a Game 7 NBA title championship. And as a result of that, even though everybody knows it's only November and everybody knows that Damian Lillard wasn't playing and everybody knows this is a year where Indiana probably is vying for somewhere between a 5-8 to playoff seed, that was a game that you look at and say – that certainly 
points the arrow towards a direction I'd rather have coming off of that game than the opposite way. I would like to add one president's note as well, if I may. You know, they have those editor's note in the long yes. blog post sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's not a game they win last year. It's, it's just not. Like, you you look at what they did in the offseason and a leap forward from some of this young core. I don't care that Dame did not play. You're looking for growth in this team game by game. That's not a game they close out and win last year. That's a game where Giannis dominates in the first half, walks away with it in the third quarter, and you're looking up at the scoreboard probably with Halliburton and company in warm-ups. It's not, it's not a game you win last year. By the way, if you are listening to this program right now and in any way, shape, or form in any branch of it, be it the Marines, be it the Army, be it the Navy, be it the Air Force, be it the Coast Guard, be it the Indiana National Guard, whatever it may be, if you are a veteran of this country in any way, shape, or form, we thank you for it on this Veterans Day in 2023. Eddie Gill, a veteran of the Indiana Pacers radio and television network, will join us next. Blue Friday on Query and Company. Plenty to talk with on the Pacers front as well as the Colts. They have safely landed in Germany per the Colts Twitter account. Some nice footage out there when they landed a couple hours ago. When they got there. (laughs) They were a bunch of hellos all across the board from those over there in Frankfurt. Another note on that as we await Eddie Gill to recap last night's Pacers victory over the Bucks. As we continue to monitor the injury report, this came out after the show yesterday, Jake, but one addition, Alec Pearson, limited participant Thursday with an ankle. Juju Brents will not travel with the team, nor will Drew Ogletree, so their DNPs, regardless, don't matter anymore on the practice report. They're not over there. Josh Downs also with a DNP. So if Pierce and Downs are not available, which is still too early to say, I get a little bit more worried some about where are the answers are going to be if the Patriots try to take away the run? Because you know that's going to be the main objective for New England is trying to limit Jonathan Taylor as much as possible. And less weapons is not more for Gardner Minshew in the passing game. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm also curious, to be honest with you, and there's no way to know this ahead of time. And I know these are young guys that are in a, a physical shape that 90% of human beings never are in. But I am curious. I think one of the things that's hard to predict is is how different players' bodies react to the time change in the travel. That is a significant request, just in terms of like how much sleep you get, you know, getting ready for the game itself. That that sounds way like that's probably overblown, but I do think and there could be an isolated case, like maybe one per team, where you just don't know right how teams prepare for it, which I think is going to be interesting. But back to last night at the Fieldhouse. Joining us now on the hotline, Eddie Gill who, of course, you hear on the Pacers radio network. You also see him on the Pacers television coverage. Joins us to talk about the game last night. Uh, Eddie, first, I wanted to get to this. I didn't notice was, and I should have, I was there. Damian Lillard clearly clearly was in the building last night, right? I mean, he didn't play, but he was in the building, correct? He made the trip? Yeah, yeah, that's correct, yep. Okay, so, but even with that, that makes him the second best Weber State product in the arena, correct? <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's a close second. <laughs> he's, a, he's a close second. That's right. I like that. Hey, um, yes, I thought last night, and we were talking about this, and I, I want your expertise, Eddie Gill, as somebody that, that obviously played and, and sees these games with a lot more close eye than I. I thought the game changed late, and, and I don't know necessarily why they went this late to make this change, but I thought it was a fabulous one. 
and that is they tried different things against Giannis, who is an unbelievable talent. But, Eddie, I really thought things changed when they decided to just basically double him right across, even off ball, right across the the midcourt stripe where he was essentially suffocated before he could even get into any sort of a set whatsoever. And then if he was doubled and got up into a jam, they had difficulty facilitating the ball offensively elsewhere once they kind of cut off the head of the snake. Is that how you saw it late in the game? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the, uh, the Pacers decided, you know, especially early on in that first quarter, that he would not be the one to beat them. He would not be the one to make the, the primary decision in terms of who's shooting the basketball, when they're shooting it, and, and that kind of thing. Someone else was going to have to, someone else is going to have to make those plays for them. Uh, and beyond that, I thought the Pacers did a, a good job of scrambling in those situations because it, it really puts you in a predicament when you double a guy way out at half court because now you're you're really stretched. A lot of space on the floor to cover, uh, but I thought ultimately they did a they did a really nice job with that and, and, and making someone else make a play. So with that latter part, because the second part of that question, and I give the Pacers staff a ton of credit for, you know, essentially just saying enough is enough and coming up with that game plan. But is the scrambling defensively the reason why we didn't see that approach earlier in the game? Yeah, it's just not sustainable. You can't double a guy uh, across half court as soon as, the, as soon as the game starts to do it for four quarters. It's just not sustainable. Uh, there's other pros out there on the floor, and you got to give those guys the proper respect. Um, now, one thing you can do is potentially, you know, if he's, if he's in post-up situations or if he drops below the free throw line, now you can send multiple bodies and you have a, a better opportunity to, to, to scramble. Um, but one of the biggest initiatives that they have this year is, is trying to play more one-on-one basketball and, and, and not get too spread out in terms of those scramble situations. So they were trying to go with that for a while, but you know, once that guy's got 50 through three quarters and, and it looks like he's going, he's headed for 65, you got to do something different. Eddie Gill, the Pacers radio network, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Eddie, the last two games, Benedict Matherin's averaging a double-double roughly 24 and 10 over this two game span. I know it's an incredibly small sample size, but Rick Carlisle mentioned post game that it's all kind of come from a conversation they had earlier in the week about him operating more off the ball from your vantage point. How much of that success has led from exactly that his ability to buy in and move and create away from the basketball and then taking advantage of the opportunities when they come to him. Yeah, I, thought, I think he's done a great job of that, especially over the last couple of games. Uh, definitely a byproduct. And, and then even beyond playing off the basketball, I think he's been doing some great jobs that don't necessarily uh, get into the stat sheet in terms of his, his defensive effort on the other end. I thought he had a, a couple huge plays late in that game, a couple deflections from, I think, Chris Middleton one time, Giannis Antetokounmpo another time. Uh, and then on top of that, he's getting on the glass. So it, he's not necessarily waiting for somebody to give him the, the basketball to make a play. He's going and, uh, and getting it off the glass uh, he had, I think, four offensive rebounds last night, so um, and, and eleven total. So he, you know, his activity has taken a, a, a gigantic leap as well. Eddie Gill is our guest. We're talking about the Pacers' win last night over the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Eddie, the reality is that you look at that game, and maybe you look at the box score afterwards, and you go, "Hey, Halliburton was, you know, again hit big shots. Matherin was the thing I love about Matherin is, man, that guy like." I remember Steven Jackson, Eddie, you know, when Steven Jackson came here, had one of the great lines of all time when somebody said, like, now what's it mean that you've won a title and you can bring that here? And Steven Jackson said, man, I can tell you right now, I just I make love to pressure. I thought that was such a good line, right? And, and right. Matherin, Matherin kind of has that, like, 
that absorption of the moment in him, it seems to me. He's not afraid of it, right? And I love that. But give me a guy or two that last night did things on the floor that were difference makers for Indiana that the casual fan may not notice and they deserve more credit. Well, I think Aaron Neesmith is that guy every night. Um, and it, it's, it's clear to see his, his three-point shooting has been has been great. And, yeah, it's great to see him make shots and make plays, scoring, and, and all those types of things. But he brings a toughness to the game that, that few bring to it. And um, he's at this point guarding just about every position on the floor. Um, you see him guarding point guards. You know, last night he had his fair share uh, of Giannis. Um, but he's a guy that just brings a different element of, of, of uh, a ferocious play in, in terms of what you need to, to play winning basketball. I think he is uh, he's definitely that guy. Okay, which leads to this question, because I've, I've mentioned this before with Aaron Neesmith, and you are a perfect person to ask, Eddie. You went to high school in Colorado, correct? Correct. How many Division One players come out of Overland High School in Colorado? I don't know. I mean, is it a lot or is it not often? Um, we've got a couple. Because not often, yeah. well, okay. So I'm assuming when you were in high school, you were the guy. Fair statement. Yep. Okay. <laughs> when you were in college, I know that you had. I can't remember if you played with Arsenal, but but at Weber State, okay. But but you were, you know, you guys were dynamic. So maybe it was one and one a. But for a great extent in college, you were the guy, right? Yep. Okay. You get to the NBA, and with Indiana. You and whether it be the Blazers, the Pacers, you know the different teams you played with, Seattle, Milwaukee, sure. Everywhere that you went, you had to accept a role, and you're no longer the guy. With all due respect, you're no longer the guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Are there guys that can't handle that? Yeah, there are definitely guys out there because they're continually, you know, chasing that that moment, that feeling, and um, and not necessarily uh, understanding that there's other things that you can do to be effective other things that the team needs for you to do to be a good fit. And then if you accept some of those things, you may, you may end up growing back into that guy that you were. Um, but it, it, if, if you come in and you're like, hey, I, you know, I, I've averaged 20 my entire career, middle school, high school, college, I, I've always averaged 20. <laughs> um, you know, there's only going to be two, maybe, there's probably going to be just two guys on the team who's doing that. Right, everyone. Everyone else is just trying to 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 fit in, and obviously, you can, you still have ability to score and, and make plays and that kind of thing. But you're not necessarily uh, the guy, so it, it can have a negative impact if you're if you're trying to fight that. So, to me, Eddie, the thing and the reason I ask it, and I'm fascinated by it, is because, and maybe it's too early to know that this is sustainable. But Aaron Neesmith is a guy that probably, for the vast majority of his career to this point has been the guy. Um, you know, Andrew Nimhard probably, you know, I know Gonzaga had a lot of great players, but sure. Andrew Nimhard also just like seemingly willingly accepts his role and is totally cool with it. And, and the Pacers, this roster seems to have a lot of guys like that. But how do you know and, and when do you know that a guy is willing to accept that modification of what he's been used to? I think I think you know when he starts doing the things that don't get in the stat sheet, right? When he's when he's coming out just going as hard as he can. When he when he's going out, you know, taking the assignment from a de- from a defensive perspective and taking the challenge that hey, he's going to guard his position. Is he going to go and rebound his position? Uh, is, is he going to go try to make some plays for for a teammate and not always looking for his? Uh, that's when you know a, a guy is is willing to do some other things with exception of, of 
you know, relating to, to scoring the basketball. Um, and that's when you know you got something special. But Aaron Neesmith is the epitome of that. Uh, I will say they play a, a, a free-flowing game in which there's a lot of opportunity out there for a lot of guys. Um, and we've talked about their depth throughout the season. And it, and it definitely shows um, when you have a guy like him, um, Jalen Smith is coming off the bench. Uh, you know, these guys are being able to come in and, and really uh, wreak havoc on, on the opponent every every single night just about. Eddie Gill, the Pacers Radio Network, joins us. Eddie, it's still very early in the season, and I know championships aren't necessarily won in November, but the foundation to be able to contend or, or playoff spots aren't in November. The foundation to be able to earn those spots can be built properly in November. Two key games back-to-back against Philadelphia, another measuring stick game for this team especially on the defensive end, what do you need to see out of them on this two-game back-to-back against Philadelphia? You're not back-to-back, but two consecutive against Philadelphia on the road. That would sure. solidify what they're doing so far this year if it hasn't already. Sure. No, it's a great test. It's a great test. I mean, obviously, they've, they've, they've uh, done really well in this home stretch uh, and, and even against the Milwaukee Bucks and even against, against good teams, but yet and still, you're at home, right? So I, I think this will be the first true test to go out on the road. Uh, and see an opponent that's that's at ultimately full strength. They have a, a MVP candidate, the former MVP and Joel Embiid. Uh, it's not going to be a one-man assignment in terms of trying to slow him down. Tyrese Maxey has definitely come along. Um, so there's a, there's a lot there that that they're going to be tested, and uh, I think ultimately just being able to see this test on the road will be a good experience for the Pacers early on in the season. Eddie, I'm gonna. I'm almost embarrassed here. I mean, you and I have known each other peripherally and, and you know, done a few things sure. together over the course of what now? Probably 10 years, something like that, maybe 12, yeah, somewhere in there. that sounds about right. Okay, yeah, so so I, I give you permission. Um, you're, I'm putting you enough in the circle to, to, to go ahead and tell me when I'm a total moron, okay? So when I ask this, I'm giving you permission to say, Jake, you are a total moron, okay? Gotcha. If – if you're on the road, let's say let's say you you take a week off and you're going to go on vacation and you miss a Pacers game. You didn't see it, you didn't you didn't hear it, you were running around with the kids, you're doing whatever. And then you look sure. at the box score without knowing the final score. And you see in the box score that Tyrese Halliburton had 45 points. Does that make sure. you automatically totally optimistic the Pacers won or is there the chance that you say to yourself this is not a team built that way, and they need better distribution than that, and I'm worried that they might have been in trouble in this game based on a one-man performance like that. Am I totally off base in saying that Indiana is built for more of Halliburton to have like a 25-point night and then distribution elsewhere from a lot of different areas? I think there's there's a room for – clearly there's an exception to the rule, right? So you can do that as a one-off, but – the, I think to your to your larger point, uh, the greater body of work would, would would seem as though he has games where there yeah, he's in the mid twenties and he's got a double double. Another guy's got twenty. There may be a, another guy with eighteen. Those types of things. So they they are definitely built like that. And they play like that, right? They they play like that. They share the basketball. Even though you know Tyrese exploded that other game, you know for the bulk of four quarters they're sharing the basketball and guys are getting a lot of opportunity. So. They, they don't. They don't rely on one guy to to put up thirty a night for sure. So I, I would agree under the assessment that they are built to have you know four or five guys a night in double figures. One of the things they do really well, this particular group, Eddie Gill's our guest. We're talking about the Pacers. I noticed last night that late in half court sets when the shot clock is running down, when you as a spectator, meaning me or the crowd, starts to get tense, like they've got to get a shot off here. 
and it goes to somebody that's not typically a shooter, they manage to get one more pass in before like a Nimhard or a Neesmith right at the buzzer of the three-point or of the half-court shot, the shot clock gets a shot off. Is that worked on or is that just natural instinct amongst players and feeling each other out? Some of that is just passing the, gr- the grenade around. <laughs> um, you know, if it gets down to the last five or six seconds of the clock, and if a guy has someone all over them that they can't get a clean look off, and they're like, hey, I don't want to jack up this bad shot, you shoot it. <laughs> so, so, uh, some, <laughs> so that does happen, right? I mean, because here's the thing. They look yeah. – and there are guys that maybe don't want that grenade, but I think, Eddie, the yeah. thing that's so intriguing about this team is more often than not on the perimeter, they all have guys that, that basically have on iron gloves, right? And they're not worried about the grenade in their hand. Well, yeah. Now, if they catch, if, if any of them – I will say any of them catch it clean and they got a good look, it could be one second on the clock. They're letting it go for sure. Uh, and they're going to shoot it with confidence. And you've seen them already, but he's knocked down a few at the buzzer. Uh, you know, they're going to shoot that shoot it with confidence. And the, the caveat is if you got someone draped all over you with one second and two seconds on you or two seconds on the clock, and now you don't want to shoot that ball. You want to, you're trying to find someone else, but yeah, they've, they've, they've shown a, a knack for finding guys in open situations, uh, you know, with one or two seconds on the clock and, and they get it off. Now I'll tell you one guy who, who's not, Afraid of taking that shot with with people all over him, his buddy healed. Correct, because he he has an innate ability to create just enough space to get it off, and it's a good shot for him. Now, here's the thing about Buddy Heald last night, though, Eddie Gill. I, I thought Buddy Heald was a little slower to get going than in a lot of games. Um, he, he he was getting good looks, but it just wasn't going down for him. Um, is Ed, is Buddy Heald as a sixth man and and the guy that you need to score like? quick punch off the bench is that long term sustainable yeah I think he definitely has the ability you're not going to find a guy with a greater spirit and greater love and greater competitive uh, aspect for the game than Buddy he, the guy lives in the gym um, so he, I, I definitely believe in what he's able to do and I, and I think he's also taking a step forward even though he, you know, he's a veteran he's been in the league for quite some time He's taking a step forward with his uh, creativity, uh, his playmaking, and then uh, and then in the last couple of games he's made some really big plays defensively too. So I think he's accepted the challenge, accepted what it looks like coming off the, off the bench, and, uh, and and thus far he's excelled at it. I thought last night at times on the post, Obi Toppin struggled defensively. I, is that because Obi Toppin has areas to improve defensively, or because Giannis is a freak? Yeah, because he's oh, because it's Giannis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. That's simply that's simply because it's Giannis. Now, you know, granted, regardless of who it is, you want to be able to have a, a certain element of competitiveness, a certain element of resistance. You're not just allowing people to go wherever they want to go by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but yeah, Giannis is tough down there, and as I mentioned early on in the game, the Pacers were content with just playing one-on-one basketball, whether it was. Ob, whether it was Miles, whether it was Aaron, all three of those guys, I think got a, a pretty good share of them. Um, but early on, you know, for the first three quarters, the, the patient was just content with playing one-on-one basketball and just trying to make it difficult on him in that capacity. But, you know, three quarters, he's got 50. We, we better do something different. <laughs> Eddie, is the depth at which you can get anybody to score 20 a night sustainable? And by that, I mean, Jake's right. This is a collection of players that have bought into the roles that they're playing, but traditionally you want to rely on, okay, Tyrese going to get his, Miles is going to get his. Who's that third guy going to be? And it could be almost anybody at any given night. Is that aspect of it sustainable? In other words, the expectations to think it could be Nemhard, it could be Neesmith, it could be Heald, it could be Matherin. Is that idea of those players being able to at any given night 
go over 20 for you if need be, sustainable over the course of an 82-game season? I think it is. I think you got enough of them to where on, on any given night it's going to be one of those guys who's got it going. Uh, you saw early on in the season it was Bruce Brown had it going. He had He's really still been shooting the three ball well, but he, he had it going. Um, Neesmith has obviously been been really good off the bench. Nimhart has been good off the bench. Um, so, you, so you definitely you, you have that ability to, to have that third guy in the mix who's going to have you know significant contributions. And again, just with the way their pace of play and the amount of shots that they're getting up game after game, you will have a third guy who's who's flirting with twenty every night. By the way, do, do most people when they if you strike up conversation, Eddie? You think more people call it Weber State or Weber State? What percent of people know it's Weber State? The people that live in Utah, whatever that number is. <laughs> so those are the only people, those are the only ones that know it's Weber State. Did, did did Chris Weber ruin this for everybody? Is that what happened? Yeah, all the all the Webers out there, all the Weber Grill, everybody, everybody. <laughs> Bruce Weber. <laughs> yeah, all the Webers out there ruined it for uh, for Weber State. Now, although I will say with. Uh, with the with the insertion of, of, uh, of Damian Lillard and, and obviously what he's been able to do in the league and, and he's never hesitant to to shout out Weber State and he, he does a, a nice job with with going back there and everything and everyone knows he went to school there. There's more people getting getting familiar with with the term Weber and not Weber. Now, were you at and we don't need to say the name of the company, but I think it's a funny story. I hope you don't mind me bringing it up. Were you at Weber State or elsewhere when you became a fashion model and you didn't even intend to be? Oh, <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> well, didn't you? I don't, I don't, wasn't your me. wasn't your poster like hanging in a store selling shoes or something like that? And you're like, wait a minute, like I didn't oh, have anything to do with this. Oh, that is funny. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. No, I was in the. I was shoot. I I was retired when that happened, and they and they and they did that. I was done playing. So so like a friend of yours walks into a store and is like, holy cow! There's like a nine foot banner of you like dribbling a basketball, selling like gear, right? How about that? Yeah, it was from a high school picture of, of that too. <laughs> a high school yeah. picture of you, and it's being it's used at, when you're an adult in a sporting yeah. goods store, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Very well known sporting goods store, but yes, it was it was in a, in a uh, it was it was in a store in in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and come to find out, it was in like fifty stores across the country. <laughs> <laughs> that is so beautiful. I'd have it. I'd put it on my LinkedIn fashion model, right? <laughs> I mean, you have to. You got to get those residuals, Eddie. Come on. I mean, Eddie, I got news for you. And I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be uncomfortable here. But but if you're not a nice looking guy, there's no way that goes up. And there's no way a picture of me at North Central High School is being used without my permission, right? Uh, You got a shot. <laughs> I mean, I would trust me. I'd have that on my business card. I'd have it as my my Twitter account background, the whole deal. And then I'd sue that's him. Hilarious. You know what I mean? That's hilarious. That's, just, that's hilarious that you saw that. Okay, last question for you, Eddie. Eddie Gill is our guest. Um, last question for you is the area right now that you feel Indiana, if they want to have the year that's expected, and I think realistically this year for the Pacers. The expectation is to take a step forward, get a taste of the playoffs, get some of these young guys involved, and continue to mesh. But the area right now that they still need probably the most improvement to be able to do that is what? Consistent defensively, for sure. Consistency on that end. We've seen we've seen uh, bright flashes of it. I thought that fourth quarter was 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 pretty was pretty good uh, last night. Obviously, uh, the night before the fourth quarter was really good. Um, I think they gave up just 20 points in that in that quarter. Um, 
but we've seen we've also seen flashes where teams are flirting with forty in a quarter. So you, you know that those types of quarters you have to just all around and got to eliminate those and and um, and you don't have they don't have to be top five in the in the, in the league in defense. I don't think they will be because it's just way too difficult to to be that good defensively when you're when you're running at the pace that they're running. But you but you can be in the middle of the pack or in the, or just above the middle of the pack. And if you're able to do that. Then, then for sure, uh, this is a playoff team, and, and, and they'll make they can have the opportunity to make some noise in the playoffs. Actually, I do have one more question, Eddie. Because defensively is the area that they need improvement or consistency, and because he was drafted for his potential defensive prowess, should we see any concern in the fact that Jarris Walker has not been in any rotation at this point? No, I don't think you, you, there's any cause for, for concern there. I think um, it's just going to be tough for him to get on the floor as long as, long as they – you know, knock on wood, they stay reasonably healthy. It's going to be tough for him to, to see legitimate uh, opportunity here, at least in his rookie season. And that's okay. You know, the guy is 19 or, or 20 years old or, or whatever he is, but he does have uh, good promise and, and great quickness and, and good size and strength and athleticism to, to get it done on the defensive end of the floor. Um, but no reason to be concerned that he's not out there right now. All right. Appreciate it, Eddie, as always, and look forward to the continued season coverage both on the television and radio side of things. Thank you much. I appreciate it, guys. All right, Eddie Gill, of course, the pride of Weber State. Yeah, you didn't know that, Jimmy. He was um, buddy has called him one day and was like, "Hey, man, your 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 photos hanging like in this huge department store." And he's like, "Wait, what?" And it turns out they were all over the place, and he got no royalties for it. And he's like, "Uh, that's gonna have to stop." Whereas me, I would be like, <laughs> most people would be like immediately calling an attorney. I'd immediately be calling like, you know, Helen Wells. I tell you Sign what, up, baby. You, can't, you can't trust marketing sometimes, man. They'll, they'll, they'll go to any lengths. Doesn't matter. Oh, there's a handsome I know basketball player. I know player. it's Let's shocking to, to you, there. but nobody's trying to illegally like pirate this mug. <laughs> I am genuinely curious how many Colts fans went over for the game, Jimmy, because, and I don't mean this, you tell me if you agree with this statement. Okay. For a number of factors, probably 60% of those factors being from the New England side, but for a number of factors, Gardner Minshew and not Anthony Richardson. You know, um, Josh Downs nicked up a little bit. The New England, like I said, just really off the radar. Mac Jones not playing well. And both of them not really contending for playoff possibility at the midway point. It feels to me like the buzz, the excitement, the anticipation, the novelty to an extent of the Colts playing overseas against the Patriots is not near as fever pitch now as it was anticipated being in August. Yeah, I would go a step further than that and say it's not even as close to what it would have been in May, which is when likely most people booked these trips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for instance, when I saw that the Chiefs were going to Frankfurt, I had a conversation with my wife, Haley. Didn't go anywhere, but I had a conversation about, hey, you want to go see Europe for a bit? Maybe go see the Chiefs play. And the reason I had that conversation that early was in part for cost, trying to you know save money where you can, get it planned out well in advance, and there's no doubt that the luster of that matchup, if you look at 
a true serum sample given to the schedule planners, you're thinking the Patriots are going to be better this year and Anthony Richardson is going to be a rookie with some buzz around him. Certainly healthy. And that could be a fun matchup and also the rivalry between those two teams. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason you booked that, I think. I Not just the international rights. Like, so... I, obviously, there wouldn't be anybody who planned the trip because you got to buy the plane tickets, right? And then, yeah. and then decided not to go. But I am curious if there's anybody that was like that was super excited about going, and now is kind of like, oh, okay, I guess we'll still go. You know that kind of thing. And I, I don't mean that to sound like a buzzkill because it's still a fabulous opportunity to go to Frankfurt. Germany. If you only went there to go see the Colts play, and you had that mentality of the buzz and the hype, like you mentioned in August. You're probably disappointed right now. If you went there with the idea of this is going to be fun, it's a once in a lifetime I'm experience. Using a, I'm using it as the gateway to go do other European Correct. things. Correct. Right. If that right. was your mentality, you're probably fine. Right. But for Dyer Colts fans, they're like, yeah, this is a this is where Anthony Richardson puts himself on the map. It's a only game in that window. It's the international showcase. This could be a, a monumental moment in his career. If that was your mindset, clearly you're disappointed. You know how you say map in German? Map, map, yeah. Uh, Steve joins us on the program. Steve, how are you? Uh, wunderbar. Guten Tag, meine friend and Jake. <laughs> okay, that said, uh, wonderful. Good day, my friend Jake. Yeah. <laughs> now, Steve, how many languages do you speak? Well, I speak enough to get in trouble in four different countries. <laughs> really? And yeah. those those four countries would be which? I, I speak enough foreign language to get in trouble in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the United States. Nice. Uh, that, that would be Germany, Spain, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and Australia like you. Now, the question is, is that four or five countries? Because Bosnia, is that, that that's not two countries, right? No, it, the, the correct country name is Bosnia-Herzegovina. It's one country. It's kind of like if you would say, I live in the United, and people would look at you and go, what are you talking about? You, you live in the United States, citizens of that country, it's Bosnia-Herzegovina. Okay, and if you are in that country, and you thought you were in the United States, geographically speaking, looking around, it looks like what area of the U.S.? I would say it looks like you are in the Smoky Mountains. Okay, well, that's beautiful then, right? Yes, it's 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 very nice. And speaking of not beautiful, you may remember on your old show I called in the day the were uh, going, announced they were going to Frankfurt, and I said it would be really a miserable time to go there. I just checked the weather, and for game time, it's going to be forty degrees and rainy. So for those that chose not to go, you're not missing anything. Well, I'll tell you what, Steve. Um, <laughs> And I hate to do this, Steve. I'm only going to do it because your your call is dropping out just a little bit in your connection. Not that you're in Bosnia, but it kind of sounds like it. But and I appreciate the call. Um, yes, when we were just in, well, I mean, I was in Luxembourg and Belgium, which are, for example, I, I flew over to Amsterdam with a couple that was going to Frankfurt. As I mentioned, that were Dolphins fans because they were going from Amsterdam over to Frankfurt. I think it's like two hours by train, so it's the same general vicinity. Um, and it was when I was there last week, it was 55 and raining the entire time. And I think Zach Kiefer had said in Frankfurt that it was it was chilly, it was cold, and there was no no press box. Did you see that? Really? Yeah. No, I didn't see that. Man. 
One thing I need to get off my chest, because I've been reading a lot of coverage leading up to this game, and I want to ask you the question first before I reveal the punchline. Jake, if I was to ask you where on the Colts defensively you feel like they are the weakest, it would be where? Not a trick question. Okay, but let me ask you this. You mean like currently right now or in totality? Like if healthy or like in their current health? Let's say let's say in their current health. Defensive secondary. Correct. This is how either confused or how bad the Patriots feel about themselves. This is from Patriots.com. They have a deep preview like J.J. Stankovitz does for the Colts okay. on their side. And they're breaking down when this happens, who has the edge. When the Patriots pass, edge, Colts. That is how lack of confidence there is in Mac Jones, in the weapons around him, and their ability to pass the football. And not just that, statistically, but six and a half yards per pass, that's 20th in the league. They are giving the edge to this Colts secondary on New England's own team website. Like, I, I I don't know what to think about this game other than I think the Colts are a better team. But against any opponent, even if it's Mac Jones and a lackluster New England passing attack, I still don't know if I would confidently say Edge Colts. That would not have been my yeah. That's well key going in for that matter. For that matter, Edge Colts would be another area where you're not totally confident correct, all correct. the time, right? <laughs> uh, in terms of the passing attack, but that does speak volumes about you know Mac Jones to me is is an interesting case, and I know that I'm. This isn't just a dead horse I'm beating. I mean, at this point, it's holding a table together because it's so much glue. But I thought Mac Jones came out of Alabama, and and at Alabama in particular, he was – I wouldn't say a system quarterback. I think that sells guys short. I think he was kind of a rhythm quarterback. And by that, I mean he was kind of Joe burrow light. And let me explain that before people jump about how what dumb are you that talking sounds. about right, Joe. When I think of Joe Burrow, what are those machines called? The jug machines that just spit the ball yep, out for receivers yep. to work on. Like Joe Burrow, when he is in rhythm, is just like this jug machine where like he's got this perfect thrower motion, kind of like you know just throwing over his shoulder with pinpoint accuracy. I mean, you know exactly where the ball is going. The second it leaves his hand, there's no wobble to it. It's tight spiral, like boom. He's just a very accurate pinpoint passer, and and so as a result, I don't know that that Joe Burrow now at LSU, obviously when he had Chase there, you know, just like you know they were they were airing it out all over the place. And they can do that in Cincinnati, but he also with T. Higgins and with you know he's got other players there that he can go just kind of in rhythm, 10, 12 yard passes, boom, 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 and you're down the field, just very precise. And Mac Jones felt to me at Alabama, not not in New England, but at Alabama, where he he was like that. He wasn't necessarily knockout punch guy, but he was just very methodically accurate. 10 to 12 yards in chunk down the field and then, you know, leading drives. And when he got to New England, the brilliance of Bill Belichick was, look at this. They got rid of Tom Brady. They tried a couple things. 
with like Cam Newton and and other such guys. It didn't work out. But they found a guy that Bill Belichick is such a genius. He came out of the lab, and he's got another guy that is just a system rhythm guy, not a just a rhythm guy that can just go out and they come up with these brilliant game plans to not overextend it and just just boom boom with accuracy down the field. And then for whatever reason, and part of it might be the receiving core. That just seems to have gone away where now he's like Jacoby Brissett light where it's 4.8 yards per pass and you're just not getting anything out of it. And, and the accuracy is not what it was. You yeah. look at his first two seasons in the league, he would have in a 15-game sample size one, maybe two games where his completion percentage is right around 50%. This season alone, he's already done that four times, most notably or most recently rather this past Sunday against the Commanders in a 20-17 to loss. And maybe the lack of weapons should point a finger to some extent. Maybe it shouldn't all be on Mac Jones, but that's where it goes back to a larger point on Bill Belichick and his ability or lack thereof to build a proper roster. Like the thought was you go out and you get Juju Smith Schuster who won a Super Bowl last year in Kansas city. And that's going to be an upgrade for your offense. You pay a little bit of a premium to go get him. He hasn't been healthy at times. And when he has been, he struggled. He's dropped some open balls. They, shockingly have continued to try the Devonte Parker reclamation project that multiple teams have tried over his NFL career. They don't have good weapons. Roger Stevenson was their best running back in terms of just their ability to move the football in that regard. But in the passing game, the old line hasn't been great. There's no reliability and chemistry between Jones and his receiving core. And it's part of the reason that they are sitting where they are looking at a top draft pick next year. And for the Colts, even if the secondary's banged up, even if we'll monitor the practice report today, Alec Pierce pops up on there. Josh Downs, I don't know if we have Robin the Genie ready, and we probably should have done this earlier in the week. But if I was to make a prediction about Josh Downs' status, I don't think he plays this weekend. I think they sit him out. I think they let him have the extra rest with the bye week built in. And he's back out there, hopefully close to 100% when you come out of the bye. So I don't think he's going to go. Just because Pierce is on the injury report as a late addition, as a limited participant yesterday, I'm not sounding alarm bells just yet. But if he's out, it's Michael Pittman Jr., it's Isaiah McKenzie. Then you're looking at deep into your cupboard that is lacking at wide receiver. But so, you know... It might not matter if JT goes off, but the, the other the other side of that though is the fact that New England's kind of in the same situation. Correct. I mean, New England's got three; their leading receiver is a guy that that has that you get off free agency, right? Because yeah. he's released elsewhere, and then they got a second rounder and a sixth rounder. Correct. You know, I mean, does any of that? Is there anybody? This is not. And granted, now that said, you know, Tom Brady. And I guess maybe this is where Belichick perhaps – I think Bill Belichick maybe a little bit got greedy. And by that I mean – and we're just now maybe figuring this out. Well, I shouldn't say that. Probably when he went to Tampa and won there, we figured it out. The The argument of is it is it Manning – I mean, excuse me, is it Brady or is it Belichick? Is it Brady or is it Belichick? Well, when there was success – sustained a little bit by New England after Brady left, you thought, it is Belichick. You know, maybe it's 50-50 because Brady went to Tampa and he had success there too. But I think that we have a tendency in human nature in anything that we do 
when things kind of fall in our favor to assume that that means that anomalies are always going to exist. And by that, I mean, I'm 99.9% certain of this. 99.9% certain of this. That Tom Brady never won a Super Bowl in New England with a Hall of Fame wide receiver. There's not a single wide receiver that won a Super Bowl for the New England Patriots with Tom Brady as the quarterback that is a Hall of Fame player. Not one of their Super Bowl teams. I realize I'm going out on a limb here because of, and I'd have to look at his final numbers. Maybe I'm in crazy town. You're right, but if I'm stretching, could Welker have a conversation? I, 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 guys in the conversation, sure. But you're right. You can't clearly point to one and say, yeah. no doubt. Gronk, I sure, mean, but Edelman, that's a different maybe, position. Uh, Gronk's a different position, right. Yes. My point being... Edelman, yeah, Edelman maybe, but yeah. You know, they were able to, by system, make guys great receivers. Edelman, Welker, you know, those guys, Deion Branch, are they great receivers if they're catching balls from Elvis Gerbach? Good call, You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of that was Brady. And I think that Belichick probably, as much as a football genius as he is, and he certainly is, no question, he's one of the great coaches in the history of professional sports. But is it possible that he then assumed naturally and organically that that means that he can do that same model with other quarterbacks and utilize top picks in other positions and patchwork the receiver position because it was he was always able to do so before and not have to spend big-time luxury at the receiver spot, and now they find themselves in a position where when they need receivers to offset mediocre quarterback play, it's not there. They never needed that before. By the way, also, uh, Adrian Clem, who has Indianapolis ties, his father was a coach at Burbuff, um, he is the offensive line coach for the Patriots and due to illness did not travel and is not with the team and is expected to be out for a while. So, And I only mention that because he's a, a guy of local interest. Uh, so the Patriots going with a different offensive line coach, if that means anything per se, heading into the game and preparing the game for Indianapolis getting ready for the Colts does that mean a lot I don't know I mean like we talked about the Colts have their own issues in terms of getting to the quarterback they, they have guys that are certainly able to do it and DeForest Buckner's been outstanding but at the pass rush itself Quiddy Pay has shown flashes Dio's shown flashes I mean they have guys that have shown flashes but I don't know that it's come at the consistency level still to this day that you want based on the investments they put in that from the get-go there's no reason with where this New England Patriots line is, that DeForest Buckner alone, even as we're asking for for more help on the outside, there's no reason DeForest Buckner alone shouldn't be able to have a similar day to what he had in Carolina. Yeah, and and by function of that, there's no, I'm not saying Kenny Moore is going to have two more pick sixes this weekend, but there's no reason they shouldn't be able to fluster Mac Jones to the point that you're creating turnovers once again. That doesn't mean the defense is fixed. That's just you play the schedule and play the teams that are in front of you, but. A lot of the simulation, a lot of the models on this game have this as a tight ball game. The only reason I am hesitant to say the Colts could win by two scores is because I don't know what the wide receiver room is going to look like on Sunday. I've already said I don't think Josh Downs is going to play. I would think Pierce probably goes, but if he doesn't, you're going to need either just a massive day from Michael Pittman Jr. or if they decide to screen the Patriots to death and utilize Jonathan Taylor that way, that's probably enough. 
When we come back, I started the show by mentioning something that Jimmy rightly, I think I said ahead of time, you know, I'm going to sound like an old guy yelling at clouds. And then Jimmy said, in fact, yes, you are an old guy and you're yelling at clouds, which is interesting because there aren't any in the sky today. But uh, there is something that I'm giving you permission now, Jimmy, to say, you know what, Jake, you're a young hipster because I have a young hipster opinion. I'm turning on a week that we turn back the clocks. I'm turning back the calendar 25 years. And I am, I'm going to be, maybe, maybe I'm just going to be a libtard. I don't know. We're back in the 90s. But I'm about to be a sports liberal, baby. Blair the Oasis and break out the chambray shirt from J. Crew. Because <laughs> I've got the opinion of a 25-year-old in the world of sports next. See, I'm about to be Eminem level hip here. Right? I'm about to be cool guy. Because I got an opinion that's going to make me a well, I shouldn't say that, it's, but but it is like the opinions of me in college. Now, for being full disclosure here, did this opinion form because you wanted to overcorrect for the old guy take earlier, or did you have no, both these no, opinions ready no, to go today already? No. Excellent point, Jimmy. Thank you for yeah. allowing me to address that. This is not me offsetting the fact that I was um, Clint Eastwood from Grand Torino earlier. This is not in any way, shape or form that, uh, this is me being completely, because I'd like to think this. Okay. When I'm out in, in public or in private and people text me, which they do. And I always appreciate the two biggest compliments, quite frankly, that we can get. The first is when people come up to me and say, I'm part of the company. I love that. It means gold they standard listen to right the there. show. It means yep. they listen to the show. But the other, quite frankly, in flippancy aside, it is always a great compliment to me when I'm talking to somebody and they say to me, you know, you sound just like you do on the radio. And I always say, that's because this is exactly who I am. I don't come on here. I'm not playing the character. I'm not trying. I'm not saying things to generate clicks. None of that. It, 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 you're the same way. John's the same way. Like, it's just about coming on. I think that's what people like, right? Is they just know that it, it's like, I would like to think that people listening to this show feel like they just saddled up next to a guy at a sports bar. They might not agree with everything I say, but they're not like, this guy's like a loud, a loud jerk that's like trying to be smarter than everybody. No, I'm just we're just shooting the bowl, right? So we can get you on record saying you didn't buy any city gear? I did not buy anything. Okay, Again, I don't like, here's my thing. I don't have problem with I, now I, I will say I, I don't think they're aesthetically pleasing. I don't like the font they used for indie. Like to me it looks generic. It looks cheap to me. Like the, the font they used. I don't remember if it was last year or two years ago, but the one they had that I think it was like the silhouette of Gamebridge, I thought that looked very practice jersey generated. I, I like these. And maybe it's because the bar was low in the past, but I, I like them because of that. I, I generally speaking don't like anything that has teal in it. You've made that pretty clear. And they line You want to forget all about 90s teal, sports like, teams. Yeah, you know. But, again, to, to go back to what I started the show with that made me sound old yep. is I know they're called the City Edition jerseys. I get that. But the Minnesota Timberwolves City Edition jerseys say Minnesota. The Utah Jazz City Edition jerseys, jerseys say Utah. The... Indiana Pacers have worked very hard from a marketing standpoint over the last 10 years or so to let people know that it is an NBA organization representing the passion for basketball of an entire state. 
And Indy, I-N-D-Y, is very explicitly and clearly a nickname for Indianapolis. And I get it. They play in the city of Indianapolis. I get it. I just think it conflicts with the intended market value of the Pacers organization. That's all. So having said that, I'm now going to turn back and be a young guy here. Welcome back. Thank you. The Jim Har- Let me turn my hat around. Okay. The, the Jim Harbaugh-Michigan scandal. It is my understanding that in the NCAA, the regulations amongst college football coaches in the Big Ten is that each university shoots a game. Like, like, give me a Big Ten school off the top of your head, Jimmy Cook. Rutgers. Rutgers. Nathaniel, give me a Big Ten school off the top of your head. Michigan. Michigan. Well, let's not use Michigan because they're the – give me another one. State. Michigan State. Okay. <laughs> so, Michigan State is playing Rutgers. Great game. So, Jimmy, you are the videographer for Rutgers. Atticus, you are the video <laughs> shooter for Michigan State. You guys stand at the, next to one another in the end zone and videotape the game. Okay? The next week, Rutgers has to play Minnesota. They are required then to take that video that they just videotaped of, of the game from the same spot standing next to Michigan State, and they send that video off to Minnesota, and Michigan State's getting ready to play Wisconsin. They send their video to Wisconsin. It is a uniformed, agreed-upon, legislated tape exchange amongst schools in the Big Ten so that everybody is getting presumably the exact same angle of the 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 team that they're getting ready to play to have an idea of what that team looks like in terms of their formations, okay? It is illegal for Rutgers or Michigan State, if they know they're getting ready to play Minnesota or Wisconsin, respectively, it is illegal for them to send a representative of their school to those schools the week before to scout in person. Correct. Justin, by the way, that's an NCAA rule. It's different once you get to the big boys. Like that advanced scouting principle is only in place. And the reason why in college, the reason why is simple. And I, I, I get it. The NCAA's job is to present a level playing field for all participants. It's the biggest hogwash scam in sports. If anybody really thinks for a split second that Akron then has the same benefit of resource as Ohio State, then I've got a ton of basement land I want to sell you in Florida. Okay? But that's the general spirit of it. But in the era of NIL, it's all gone. Everything's gone out the window. It's all gone. Conference realignment. I mean, talk to me about the integrity of the game when Oregon's rowing team is getting ready to go take on a Big Ten matchup in New Jersey against Rutgers. And you've got Cal getting ready for a big game to try to preserve their dominance in the Atlantic Coast Conference. No wonder why kids can't point to Jack on a map. Right? But all that said, so that makes me sound old again. But here's where I sound young. I got zero problem with the fact that Michigan sent a guy to try to figure out what the Homer Simpson sign on the sidelines means. I'll be honest with you. I think it's brilliant scouting. I mentioned before, you got a college team, and all the teams do it now. 
And they make a big deal out of it on television. You watch a Clemson game, and you know Trevor Lawrence when he's at Clemson, and they're like, "Now watch the sidelines," and you see the the backup quarterback, and he's holding up a poster board, and it's broken down into four squares, <laughs> and one of them is a cruise ship, one is Mickey Mouse, one is a flamingo, and one is the Empire State Building, and they run Travis Etienne to the right, and then later in the game, Travis Etienne runs to the right, and they look at the sign that that guy's holding up, and it's got an a Canon camera, an Apple watch, a black baseball cap in the Empire State Building. And they're like, there's the there's the consistent one, the Empire State Building. When you see the Empire State Building, Travis Etienne's going to the right eight yards. To me, being able to figure out the consistency in that and decipher it is not cheating. It's advanced scouting and preparation. I got zero problem with it. And that makes me probably an idiot because people are going to be like, what, you're against bending the rules? Yes, I'm against bending the rules because in reality, the rules don't exist anymore. Now, when they did send the guy to dress up like a Central Michigan staffer and walk on the sidelines, that's a little over the line. I'll I'll grant you that. (laughs) But I'm thinking at that point, this guy's rogue. This guy's making 45 grand a year. He's trying to make a name for himself. And he's, let me tell you a little story, Jimmy. You ready for a little fireside chat, Jake Quarry story time? Always. Okay. And I've told this story once in my life on the radio. And I'm going to apologize in advance if anybody listening to my voice right now worked at Wish Television 20 years ago. 25 years ago. I can say with confidence I didn't. You're working. Nathaniel, you work, you're doing stuff at Wish? Right now, but not 25 years ago. Okay. When I was a young guy, I was, I'd have to look at the exact year. But the Colts kicker was Kerry Blanchard, 1996-ish. I was like 24, 25 years old. I was working at Channel 6 as a temporary employee, hourly wage, doing anything I could to get my foot in the door to work in sports media in Indianapolis or anywhere where I had an opportunity. But they offered me the chance to work there as a producer and do what I could to cut tape, mix coffee, and get my foot in the door and experience, okay? And Kerry Blanchard was a kicker for the Colts and had played really well for them. I think maybe mid-Pro Bowl. And he gets cut. He's like the last cut of the year in training camp. And we're like, oh my gosh, Kerry Blanchard's been cut. And Ed Sorensen, who was the head of the sports department and the guy that had brought me in, and I'll always be grateful and indebted to him since I was a young kid. He let me shadow him and he gave me complete access. I was John Feinstein of the Channel 6 Sports Office for a season on the brain. He gave me total access. Did you write a book? I could write a book. I can All tell right. you that. Okay. So Ed starts freaking out and he's like, oh my gosh, Kerry Blanchard got cut and he's the one guy on the roster that we have no connection to. I have no way to get a hold of him. This was back when every local channel did a 40-minute sports show. Channel 6 did Sports Extra, Channel 8 did Sports Locker, Channel 13 did Sports Jam, Channel 59 did Sports Overtime. Everybody did a 40-minute show from 11.20 to 12 every Sunday night and it was must-see television for sports fans in Indianapolis. Okay, And Ed's like, so we're doing the 6 o'clock show and Ed sees Channel 8 tease that they have Kerry Blanchard on Sports Locker. And Ed's like, I can't believe it. We've been totally scooped. Kerry Blanchard is the big story, and he's going to be on Channel 8. And he's and I think Channel 13 already had him at 6 o'clock, and we have no access to him. So, back in those days, when you would have somebody that would come in studio, the other affiliates, we were an ABC station, the other ABC affiliates would call and say, hey, did you guys happen to get videotape of this interview, Peyton Manning today or Kerry Blanchard or whatever it might be? Yes, we did. 
Can you satellite that? This is prior to cell phones and everything else. Can you satellite uplink me the video? And that literally consisted of me calling in New York City and setting a five-minute time window frame where I went into a tape room, played the tape, sent the satellite coordinates to the recipient, to the other television station. They set their, you know, you see those big satellite dishes. They turned their satellite dish to those coordinates and then watched what I was feeding to them and recorded it. And I was sending them video via space. Okay. Every television station would do that with their affiliates, their other ABC affiliates. You were Josh Dobbs before Josh Dobbs. What's that? Correct. (laughs) Correct. Right. So I call wish television and i thought you know what there's very little chance that carrie blanchard is actually going in live on sports locker so i call wish television and i say listen i'm the the sports producer at the cbs affiliate in oklahoma city the hometown of carrie blanchard i go are you guys going to talk to carrie blanchard today about the fact he got cut and they go yeah he's actually coming in studio i go is there any way i can get the tape get some sound they go, sure, of course. I go, perfect. What time's he coming in? Well, he's coming in. We're recording with him at 8 o'clock. I go, perfect. Thank you very much. Hang the phone up. Get in my car, 8 o'clock, drive over, sit in the back parking lot of Channel 8, 8.15, Carrie Blanchard comes walking out. I pull my car up and I go, hey, Carrie, my name's Jake Corey. I'm with Channel 6. Can I put you in the car and drive you over and do an interview with Ed Sorensen? 20 minutes later, he's sitting on the set at Channel 6 and Ed Sorensen interviews him. <laughs> now, is that scrupulous? Yeah. Probably not. But I was a young guy trying to make a name for myself and trying to prove that I had the chops to make it in an industry that was very competitive. Michigan has a young guy probably making 45 grand a year, 40 grand a year, which is decent money. I mean, good money. Don't get me wrong. But not necessarily in the world of college coaching is it good money, right? Sure. But he's a young guy trying to make a name for himself, trying to do what he can to impress his superiors no matter what it takes. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that it's that it's scrupulous, but I understand how it happens. And I think it's actually pretty smart and resourceful, truth be told. And I think what you have is Jim Harbaugh. I don't even know if Jim Harbaugh necessarily probably even said, how does he know all this stuff? All Jim Harbaugh is thinking is, this is great. This guy's done enough scouting to know that Scooby-Doo means flare pass. Awesome. I think where things change for people, though, and I don't really know how I feel about this, and the reason that that might seem like an on-the-fence weak take is because the NCAA is not going to do anything anyway. Like That's why I don't care about this story, because even if the NCAA took a hard stance, Michigan's either going to fight it in the courts or it'll be like a Bill Self phantom fine, phantom suspension, and nothing's going to happen from this. But that said, if I was to take a stance, Jake, I agree with you. Connor Stallion is trying to make a name for himself, right. do whatever he can. But the issue that people have, not just that it's a rule that you can't advance scout, but that in your scenario, your boss didn't know you went and poached for that interview. I don't believe that Harbaugh does not know that Stallions was that Maybe. meticulous but here's and in-depth about Jimmy. it. Jim Harbaugh's a weird dude, right? Very much He's so. a quirky guy. Yes. He, he acted like he was Screech's cousin on Saved by the Bell. He's related to Tom Crean, who wears people out in general. He wears only Dockers and weird like glasses. He's an odd dude, right? Yeah. I, I personally, in the few encounters I've had with him, find him to be a very nice guy. But he, he's, a, he's an odd dude for sure, and he rubs people the wrong way. And Michigan in general is a brand that people have tired of. If that exact same scenario 
was taking place, but it was, and I don't know who right now you would say is like the cool coach that everybody likes, but if it was some other young up and coming, like cool coach, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma before he took 15 million to go to USC, you know, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, Bill, or, you know, either of the stoops guys that people genuinely like, would there be the uproar? I don't know that there would be. I think part of it is See, people that's are influenced larger by their dislike of who it involves. But that's the larger problem for me. It should be. It should be the I, same. I get it. But that's not how But you know run. what they say in the NCAA, Jimmy? Every time Kentucky cheats, they slap Austin P. harder. Jeff, what's up? Am I on the line? You are. Wow. That's a long time since I've taken a phone call on here. Um, now, you're not you know, taking they, a phone call. You're making it. So, making, that's what I said. Okay. It, it, Sam, take, taking, sorry. That's all right. Um, nobody cares about this story. So uh, 90% of the people could care less about Michigan and what they did. They're all doing it for some form, some way, just like everybody else is in every sport. So I don't even know why this is such a big deal anymore, but it's becoming a waste of time. I, I if I were you guys, I'd bury the story and move on. It would be so much more entertaining. So let me ask you this, Jeff. Are you yeah. a Michigan fan? Nope. I sure am not. Okay. This so. is the first time you've been compelled to call the radio in a long time, right? Isn't that how you open the well, conversation? I, I've, try, I've tried to call, but you guys don't take calls early anymore. So, but but my point being, it compelled you to call into a radio show to talk about you, you were compelled to call in and wait on hold to mention on a radio show that it's something that was not of interest to you. No, I was driving and I was bored and I needed to do something. So I just got on. I got on you guys' show. What What so, would you rather we talk about? Sports. Let's talk about Colts Does, and what's coming up and the Pacers and let's talk about I don't know more than this. This is an awful story. I bury it. Move on. Now, Jeff, what time did you start listening today? I just got in my car about five minutes ago. Okay. So did you? So you didn't hear when we had Eddie Gill on for twenty five minutes? Nope, missed it. Did, did you hear when we Not talked like about the Patriots and their coaching change heading into the Colts game? Yeah, or did I don't you happen- care about the Patriots either. So, well, but, but who, they, the who are they playing week. Sunday? <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay did you did you hear when Patriots. did you hear when we talked about the Colts in terms of their injuries coming up and and what areas yep. from missed a defensive? St- it's good I hear that though because I might get a little bit more interested in the show and take more calls. So, I mean, you guys, don't are you related to Connor Stallions anymore? What's that? Are you related to Connor Stallions? Don't know who Connor Stallion. Okay, Jeff, what what line of work are you in, Jeff? I'm in sales. For what? What? what what's... Ex, ex college basketball referee. On top of that. Okay, what sort of stuff do you? Well, now, why X? Why aren't you officiating anymore? I had to retire because my daughter wanted me to coach her basketball team. Oh God, how, how bad did that? I mean, like, which? Is, okay, Painful. let me ask you this: Which was Painful. worse? Par- parents are worse. Which when you're an official or when you're coaching daughters? Um, probably when you're coaching daughters, because when I was doing Division One games, you wouldn't hear the parents, you wouldn't really hear the coaches too much. So, who's the worst coach the, you dealt with? God, I'm going to tell you one of the ones you guys probably wouldn't believe. Brad Stevens was awful, awful. I could, he, I could actually see that because I would think had, that Brad would had, think that he knows the rules better than you. Oh, he had the best like demeanor over there because he wouldn't look like he'd be saying anything to you. But he would be MFing you the entire time. I'll tell you, probably the worst one in a game who actually ended up getting in a great relationship with was Phil Martelli. Oh, man, I love that dude. I I thought Uh, he was a brilliant coach at St. Joe's. He Um, was. And I think he probably, no disrespect to Juwan Howard, I think he probably is a big part of why Michigan had initial success when Howard was learning the ropes of coaching. Phil was very intelligent. The first time I ever had him in the A-10, they told me all my 
people told me to stay away from him because he was too smart. And sure now, enough, I now stayed, Jeff, I be honest. Away from him. Do you yeah. listen to this program because you enjoy it, or because there's no other sports station? Be completely honest. Um, yeah, I here's here's my my two cents, and obviously I'm not a radio guy, but I probably listen to it because it's the only station on at this point in time. Mm-hmm. But I wish you take more calls from people. I like hearing what some of your people have to say out there, and I just think that that's kind of gone away. I, I actually, Jeff, to be honest with you, now here's the yep. thing we're going to do. Yep. First off, I've given my number out on the air before. Do you have it by chance? I don't. Okay, well, I'm going to give it to you. You're not going to remember, but you're going to have to go back on the podcast and listen to this, okay? Okay. Sounds so good. my number is 523-9288. Yep. Now, yep. the easiest way in basketball terms to remember that is just think of May 23rd. There's always an Indy 500 like every five years on the May tw- – or every eight years on May 23rd, okay? So yep. May 23rd. And then think about the fact that in 92, Ted Valentine screwed Indiana. So 92, right? And then 88 was Danny Manning and the Miracles. So if you could remember May 23rd, Ted Valentine, Danny Manning, you'll remember my phone number, okay? I can do that. Now, don't pick on Teddy V. Come now, on. Now, so, and I, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm official friendly, buddy. Let me tell you something. Yeah. I work with Boborowski. I'm, I'm, offic- I'm, uh, I'm friendly official sorry. guy, right? So sorry. you're going to text me, and we're going to have you in studio for an hour, and we are going to do nothing but talk about the things that you want to talk about for one hour, okay? Then Love afterwards, it. we're going to pull up the, the actual next day ratings of it, and we're going to be able okay. to see the metrics as okay. to whether or not – because I totally agree with you on callers. I 100% agree with you. Unfortunately, the audience in general does not. Really? Yeah. I've always no. said, Jeff, doing sports talk radio is like is like running a delicatessen. Like, yeah. I don't like pastrami, but if 80% of my audience requested pastrami, then I better have a lot of pastrami on order. And that's well, let me ask you let me ask you a question. Yep. Okay. Daka just so was pretty pretty successful. And I and this has I'm not a big fan of his. I, I liked his show. I really did. Um, I'm not a disliker or a liker. He had a lot of verbiage and conversation with people online. Don't you think his show his show was pretty successful? I don't know. I get into work at noon every day. What do you mean? You can do the math, Jeff. You're a smart guy. Any other questions? Nope. Okay. I'll leave it. I'll leave the experts to you. How's that sound? Yeah. You and Bo Barowski. I'll leave you guys the experts. Well, let me ask you this: How how often, when you heard (laughs) Dockage talking to people, did you say he was respectful of their opinion? Um, I'd probably say less respectful. Yeah. But but. I don't think that's bad. I mean, you got it's, it's it's your show, all right. So you've gotten to be where you are. So your opinion is kind of what matters of the show. So if Dockages was a little bit different than other people, I'd probably say it was sixty five thirty five. Okay, but well, like I said, Jeff. Yep. When you hang up the phone, do the math on the last thirty seconds, and I think you'll figure out what I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the number is will be very entertaining. I appreciate it. <laughs> that's, that's not what I mean. Everybody else knows what I'm talking about. Uh, by the way, James Boyd joins us at 2. Got a lot of texts, which are much appreciated. Jeff, apparently a Purdue fan. Um, hey, Jake, tell Jeff I said what's up. You handled him well. He and his brother, Bob, used to shoot hoops in my driveway. That from Pat. All right, Pat, pass it along. Speaking of which, I did see Pat Knight last night at the Pacer game, which was good to see. You think he was um, stealing signs ahead of those pickup games? <laughs> well, I, I thought it was interesting that he was willing to wait on hold to say that it's a topic that doesn't compel anybody to call in. Yeah, I always get a kick out of that, too. I was like, okay. You know what I mean? We had that other one a couple months ago. 
can't remember if it was the Beatles or what it was about, but it was something music-based. Same thing happened. Hey, speaking of, by the way, waiting for reaction or whatever else, uh, did hear back, I don't know if I mentioned yesterday, heard back from the rental car company. Nice. Maybe um, nice. I don't know. Was it nice? So the rental car company, which I didn't say their name, did I? You did not. Okay. Uh, it made me think of the quarterback of the Eagles. Um, the rental car company that I rented a car in Belgium for two hours and returned it to Luxembourg, and the Luxembourg division, uh, I dropped it off, and there was no gate agent. But I dropped it off with the guy, and then later got a receipt saying that I was being charged $700 for damages. And I'm like, there's no way. Then I noticed that in my paperwork from where I rented the car, the damages were listed. Now, Nathaniel and I have not shared a car ride with you, so I can't fully support you on that i don't know maybe okay. maybe you're just going reckless so over there i rented the car and had it for like two hours and four minutes mm-hmm. and in that time traveled like 128 miles yeah pretty obvious i got on the interstate and like got off the interstate right but nonetheless so so here's the question sure the question would become which is more likely is it more likely that when i returned the car and it had like six damages listed and they said oh no one of the scratches it says is on the left panel, and it's actually there's one on the right panel. So we're charging you for the scratch on the right panel. And I'm like, do you think it's more likely that that me, who is the top level of like loyalty renter in their little division program that's had, I looked it up, 47 rentals in three years and has never had a single problem, do you think it's more likely that I scratched the car or that the person who filled out the paperwork before handing it to me put the had one, missed one of the scratches? Hey, I'm not coming after those credentials, right? okay? That's for that company to do. I'm not doing it. So they wrote me back and said, sorry. You're still responsible. That's the conclusion of that? So then I went to the local, the, 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 the United States division of the rental car company, and after asking if they were the quarterback for the Eagles, and they said no, then they said, oh, I'm sorry, that's our European division, and we have no control over that. I said, okay. So then I did the last thing, which is call my credit card company and say, I'm disputing this, and here's all the paperwork. So that's where we stand. Not that anybody cares, but I felt like voicing my frustration. James Boyd is next. Final hour on a blue Friday. Colts have made it safely to Frankfurt, Germany. Great footage on Colts.com. Great place to read about the Colts, to follow the Colts all season long, of course, is The Athletic, led by none other than our next guest, the talented James Boyd, with us on a Friday. James, how are you? I'm doing good. I miss you, Jimmy. I miss you too, man. I, oh, well, I, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what, am I, what am I over here? I, mean, <laughs> I, I can hear you, James. I, I'm here. <laughs> Nathaniel can only turn off mics. He can't turn I, off headphones, unfortunately. So that's why as we freeze Jake out of this conversation for a second, apparently. James, with them being over in Germany now, and with the latest comments from Shane Steichen in regards to availability for some key players on the injury list. We already know Juju Brents, Drew Ogletree are out and did not make the trip, but Steichen spoke to the media earlier. Zaire Franklin, Alec Pierce, Josh Downs. He didn't say game time decisions, but he did say decisions over the next two days. How big is that given what Franklin has done for this defense, as well as the depletion of the Colts offense if both Pierce and Downs were to miss? Yeah, I think you feel encouraged, obviously, with how the defense performed last week and the absence of Zaire Franklin, but you don't make that a habit because the guy leads the tackles, and he's someone who's very special to this defense um, from a emotional standpoint as well. So we'll see on that front. But for Josh Downs and Alec Pierce, those guys can't go 
I mean, this offense that looked awful in, you know, uh, Carolina, which was looking even worse, in my opinion. And you really saw the effect of not having Josh down in that second half of that game. Uh, fortunately, Kenny Moore had the game in his life. But if he doesn't have those two pick sixes, um, it's tough because you just can't produce any offense without Josh Downs, I believe, getting open across the middle of the field and continue to press on the defense. Okay, so let's go over this, James Boyd, from The Athletic, as the Colts and Patriots are on their way to Germany, or actually in Germany now. But for those that are unfamiliar, James, it's kind of a weird week because typically we get before a Sunday game, there's a practice on Wednesday, we get an injury report of who did and didn't practice. The Colts didn't do that. They did a walkthrough. Then, you know, they start traveling. So it is a little bit wonky in terms of our level of the clarity of knowing who's in and who's out. But as of right now, the way things stand, the the breakdown for me, the two tiers, I guess, of guys that are most in doubt to not be available Sunday and guys that could be in question but we're just not certain yet. Yeah, I think – one person I would probably lean towards playing is Zaire Franklin just because he's only missed one game in his career, which was last week. And Gus Bradley said he was pretty close last week, still playing. Um, with Josh, I would, you know, just lean on the side of caution, quite honestly, because um, they haven't reported anything. They haven't told us anything. But just my own common sense tells me if this guy really couldn't finish out the game in Carolina, why rush him back for this week when you could rest him this week and get the bye and then get him fully healthy coming out of the bye? So that's just my opinion on the matter, but we'll see how it goes. And anyway, Alec Pierce, um, I looked at all those guys today running around. You couldn't tell much during that one more period, but he looked like he was, you know, ailing too much or, you know, in too much pain or something like that. So we'll have to just wait and see. But I definitely asked, and Shane kind of gave me that smirk, like, I know you're going to ask, and you know I'm not going to answer, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's the job. James, when I look at the Colts defensively and I look at what they were able to do against Carolina, especially DeVorce Buckner really making his presence felt in that game, even though the Colts continue to look for more support and more steps forward for guys like Quiddy Pay and, and getting more help outside, DeForest is able to make his presence felt throughout against Carolina. When I look at New England, I see no reason why he couldn't have a similar, if not better, performance. Do you see it the same way when you look at that matchup in terms of what the Colts will need to do defensively against the Pats? Absolutely. I think DeForest Bugs is one of those guys at this point in his career for how well he's played, for as long as he's played. You just pencil him in for big games. Um, it doesn't matter who they play. But the key, like you said, is can the other guys kind of step up? And I thought last week they faced an offense that's really struggling, doesn't really have an identity, obviously, with Bryce Young struggling back there. Um, but, you know, you can probably say the same thing about the Patriots, where their offense isn't clicking too much. Mac Jones is struggling. They've only won two games. But can you get that extra, you know, oomph from someone else? Because DeForest Buckner – to his credit, even without Grover Stewart, has still been dominant. And I think he's having, you know, an all-pro caliber season, pro bowl caliber season. It's just a matter of will he get that same respect if they don't get enough wins to kind of get in that conversation. James, Grover Stewart's in a contract year, correct? Yes. By Grover Stewart, who I think's been a great – I mean, he's been – maybe not great. He's been a very good player for them. He has exceeded expectation and has really been a good player until the suspension. But to your point – if Grover Stewart is not out there and it is not limited what other players around him have still been able to do, does that in any way, shape, or form influence the contract negotiations for Grover Stewart? I don't think it influences that much just because they really only thrived with the pass rush last game. Before last game, we were all asking, where is it besides the Forrest Buckner? So we saw 
you know, Aitama Adabari get his first sack. You saw Quiddy Pay able to get some pressure, dial, all those guys kind of pop. But prior to last game, the conversation was, it's DeForest Buckner and who? And you were really missing Grover Stewart. So I think that with the NFL, sometimes it's like a week-to-week league. You know, one week it's one narrative, the next week it's a different narrative. But overall, I think they still need Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner is just being Superman, or as I call him myself, God's favorite because, you know, he's uh, handsome and a good dude and very good at football, doing all these special things. And it's like, you know, who else is going to do something else besides, you know, Mr. President over here? <laughs> James uh, James Boyd is our guest, by the way. Colts and Patriots coming up Sunday in Frankfurt. Um, you know, in terms of New England, obviously struggling, right? When there are guys that you're that the Colts are trying to assess whether to go or not go coming off injury, does the opponent in any – I know that the bye week factors in a little bit, right? Because you know like, hey, we can kind of get a buy one, get one here on rest time or, or you know recovery, et cetera. Does the lack of stoutness of the opponent factor in any way, shape, or form about the rate in which you bring guys back? I don't think so. I think that you have to look at this stuff with long-term, you know, a long-term vantage point. And I think also Shane was a little weird when we asked about, and I believe it was actually Kevin Bowen, you know, 107.5, the fans own Kevin Bowen. He asked Shane if Josh Downs, you know, his knee injury was something that lingered from the spring. And Shane gave a really vague answer. was like, yeah, but, and we were all like, does that mean a yes? Does it mean a no? Is it in the middle? But I believe, from what I understand, and, and maybe just the context clues around it, that this is something that's kind of bothered him. You know, uh, uh, Josh Downs missed some time during his last season at Carolina with the knee injury. You know, missed time in the spring with that, came back, and then now he's dealing with the knee injury again. So all things considered, I think you have to think of his long-term health and remember that it's not worth it to just rush him back for one game, even if it is against a weaker opponent, if it's going to jeopardize his future, because obviously you can see his future is bright. If they're down – both Josh Downs and Alec Pierce, or even if it's just Downs and Pierce is able to go, how big will Jonathan Taylor, the pass catcher, be in this matchup against New England? I think it's huge. We've actually seen him be his most productive, I believe, um, in the passing game. He had, obviously had a really good game a few weeks ago against the Saints. That was kind of weird where it's like, oh, why did he run in the second half? But, um, you know, his touches, his, his ability to get out in space, has really popped this season more than others, and I think that's going to be the case because, quite frankly, if the teams are going to continue to load the box and, and tell you, hey, you're not going to run, how else can you get your best player the ball? And so um, he's shown that ability, and I think that that's why you pay him. Um, you don't pay him to run him into the ground necessarily, but you pay him to utilize all of his talents. And one of his talents is catching the ball out of the backfield. Now, is he Christian McCaffrey? No, but he is you know, better than most in the league. James, there's a piece on Patriots.com where they go through – each pass or throw option for both the Colts and the Patriots, and they were highlighting who has the edge whenever the Colts run the ball, who has the edge. Whenever the Patriots run the ball, who has the edge. When they got down to when New England throws the ball, they gave the edge to the Colts. Now, against any other team, I would be flabbergasted by that because of how depleted the Colts' secondary is, and that's been the major talking point about the defensive struggles has been the secondary. Is New England truly that bad in terms of the weapons around Mac Jones and Mac Jones' struggles that you yourself would say, yeah, I think I actually would give the edge to the Colts here in terms of if New England's going to try to throw the ball on Sunday? Yeah, I would. And especially coming off the game Kenny Moore just had, 
he might be the best uh, receiver out there when they go out there, um, you know, for offense, the Patriots to do. And I, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. I just I don't think that at this point in the season you can expect an offense that's struggling as much as theirs to suddenly, you know, have a great game. Now, could that happen? Yes, at the NFL. It's kind of weird sometimes. But I kind of lean on the side of what you've seen, what you've seen is an offense that's really um, stagnant, really tough to get points, get yards. And I think this Colts defense is kind of riding high, feeling good about themselves and trying to build on that after last week. So I would just say um, if you consider Kenny Moore still out there, um, maybe you don't throw in his direction. And does that? how does that maybe hamper your offense even more? So we'll see. Obviously the Patriots are familiar with Kenny Moore. It's where he got his career started. And uh, we'll see how things go. But I think this is a game the Colts must win. I don't like to use the term must-win game, but a, you know, a team that's only won two games and you're going into the bye, you know, five and five sounds a lot better than four and six. James Boyd is our guest from The Athletic. James, it was around this time a year ago, maybe a little bit later, but for the most part, we're halfway through the season and the Colts are getting set to go into their bye week. It was around this time, maybe two or three games later, when, when I think Bernard Ryman it really started to kind of come together for him last year. And all of a sudden, at the end of the year, people looked back and went, you know what? By the end of the year, he was actually pretty competent in learning a position that's one of the tougher ones to learn. Give me a guy who seems to be trending towards the direction right now of he is perhaps above schedule on where they thought he was going to be of learning his position and has exceeded expectation to this point? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I think one of them before he got hurt, it probably was Drew Ogletree. I know he's out this week, but Drew was one of those guys where I was like, man, he missed the season with the ACL injury. Um, Obviously, he's in a crowded tight end room. And then for a couple of weeks here, which is disappointing that he's hurt, he emerged with that top tight end, you know, that pass-catching tight end, that bruiser as a blocker. And that's someone I think that has kind of, you know, exceeded expectations in a sense because coming into the season, I don't think that he was the first guy I would have put on the depth chart. It probably would have been Jelani Woods or someone else, but he stepped up. And then um, from there, I don't think there's really been any other guys um, who kind of come alive or jumped off the page for me in their second or third season. Um, I mean, the biggest guy – as far as newcomers go, be Josh Downs just because he exceeded expectations in my eyes because I didn't expect him to come in and be this explosive right off the bat. I believe he still leads the Colts in uh, 20, uh, catches the 20 yards or more. So um, those are probably my two guys. For special teams, I know you're not directly out there, James, but in terms of the conversation this week, has anything been made about the unique rule with the positioning of that scoreboard, how low the ceiling is, that it's basically just a, a restart? I believe it happened once against... Uh, in that Chiefs-Dolphins game, that if it hits the ceiling, that you can't play it off the bounce. you got to go ahead and redo the punt all over again. Has anything been in that conversation piece in regards to special teams operations going over there? Nah, not for the most part. I think Shane, as you all know by this point, he's very like, hey, no excuses. you got to go play and win. And so it was kind of funny. You come all the way across the pond, and he's saying the same stuff he says at West 56th Street. And um, I was like, oh, okay, just good to know that he didn't change. When, when he got over here, he was pretty uh, routine. So um, I think that for the most part, they're just focused on how they feel. They did talk about the field being a little bit different, you know, maybe being a little bit slicker and things like that and having to make sure they have the right cleats on. But he talked to every player, every coach. It's like, hey, man, we can't play a game, and they got to play in the same conditions as us. But we can't make a bunch of excuses if we don't you know, go out there and execute. James, I want to give a peek behind the curtain. James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest who covers the Colts. I want to give a peek behind the curtain 
um, for listeners, quite frankly, who don't have the privilege and the access that we do as credentialed media members to get an idea of what a Colts week typically looks like for the team. So in a regular week, I'm not talking about when they're going to Germany. If this game this weekend was at Lucas Oil Stadium, give me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm not saying hour by hour, but what the team does, the the team activities are what for each of the five days of the week? Yeah, so Monday they review everything after the game. Um, That's when we talk to Shane Sykin on Zoom. Tuesday is usually their off days. We talk to the coordinators. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is practice. And that's when we get to go to the open locker room and talk to the guys. Saturday is an off day, and then Sunday is the game. Okay, and And those practices uh, are typically how long, James? And which of those practices, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the practices are usually how long, and which of those three days is the most arduous? Yeah, I would say Wednesday and and, and Thursday are probably the the ones that are a little bit um, more arduous. Friday's pretty light. Um, They're never too long. You know, they're about an hour, hour and a half, but um, I think they just hit it hard and get all their stuff kind of installed and then go from there, but – um, it's never like this where you're kind of starting to stop in and doing walkthroughs and then a practice and all these things where it's kind of just off schedule, quite frankly. I know Julian Black, when we just talked to him, he was like, yeah, it's all about keeping your routine. But, you know, even he has to kind of admit that, yeah, this is not our normal routine. We're just trying to make it as normal as we can. Okay, so this week with the Colts game not being at Lucas Oil Stadium but rather being across the pond, this week their activity was what? So this week – you know, we had a typical, um, you know, Monday press conference or Zoom call with Shane Sykin. Tuesday they were off. You know, Wednesday they have a walkthrough. Um, Thursday they actually had practice, and today they have another walkthrough. So instead of the, you know, typical practices, they've only they only had one real practice so far this week. And part of that, I think, is just keep your body fresh because as much as you want to keep it fresh from an injury standpoint, you want to keep it fresh from a rest standpoint because you're not getting that normal routine rest that you get throughout a, a, a typical game week. I'm curious, James, and I don't, I don't know if maybe you've talked to your colleagues from the Boston-Providence area. Did New England and Indianapolis go over at roughly the same time? Because it is an adjustment, man. I mean, depending on when they leave and, and getting over there, you know, it takes probably a day. I mean, it's, and they're younger guys in great shape. I get that. But uh, are they pretty much on par as to when the Colts and the Patriots arrived? Yeah, pretty much the same. I know the Patriots practiced earlier than the Colts did today, but it's about it. They they both got over here around the same time, so I don't think there's going to be a huge discrepancy in you know analyzing. Okay, did they have an advantage because they stayed an hour back, you know, or hour later, or they came over an hour earlier? It wasn't like something where it was like a day in in between. No, James, how would you assess the play of? Blake Freeland in relief of Braden Smith as he's tried to recover back from that hip slash wrist injury. I know he's a full participant the last two days and trending like he's going to return, but being asked that, kind of like Ryman was last year as a rookie to step up in the trenches, how would you assess what he was able to do over that stretch? I think it was solid. I think it's all you can expect from a guy who's picked in the fourth round and kind of thrown in the fire. I mean, I talked to him a few weeks ago about facing Aaron Donald. He was like, yeah, that was definitely a welcome to the NFL moment. And so um, I think he's done an admirable job, but obviously it would be huge to get Braden Smith back considering, you know, what the Colts have invested in him as far as a part of the future of this team and, and, and the level he's played at throughout his career before the injuries um, this season. So um, Blake Fulham's done a good job. If he has to go back out there, that would be something that I think they find confidence in because he's done it enough. 
But um, as you know, with the rookie, there have been ups and downs and, and just those growing pains because a lot has gone on his plate, and, and you can't expect him to just come out there and be perfect. James, you know, sorry, James is an Illinois resident, and the reason I want to – an Illinois-raised kid for you growing up there, seeing the rivalry outside as a neutral party that was New England-Indianapolis. And Jake brought this up yesterday, and we did a poll – on Query and Company on Twitter regarding is the rivalry still there or was it really just hatred for Brady and Belichick? And the poll came out that it was just hatred in terms of, I think, 500, 600 people voted in that poll. From your seat as a neutral, non-Indiana native, is there still cachet between Colts and Patriots or is it just another game that used to have rivalry merits to it? Just another game. I think it's the Tom Brady effect and the Peyton Manning effect. You want to see great players all the time. And those two guys, just the way they played, how great they were, it limited itself to a lot of debates and, you know, back and forth between fan bases. But, I mean, it's tapered off a bit since then. But, obviously, uh, either way, if you can say, well, you know, who was the last team to win in Germany – um, you get this one, you can talk trash for a while. So <laughs> I'm sure it'll be uh, pretty spicy. You know, it's funny, James, we were talking about this yesterday. I, I also think it's somewhat influenced by the fact that for so many people, probably on both sides of the coin, talking about Colts and Patriots, in the peak of that rivalry, like, for example, the Pacers-Knicks, which, which was an older rivalry, and it also obviously is not necessarily the same, but there's never been like some sort of a thing to come out since that Reggie Miller and John Starks actually were buddies and they do a lot of stuff together. You know, Reggie and Spike Lee maybe a little bit have had some fun together. But I, I think that it softened a little bit when people all of a sudden it was illuminated to them after the fact. Wait a minute. You mean my hero Peyton Manning actually likes Tom Brady? And then you find out they were buddies <laughs> with one another and you kind of feel like we were all part of like a big ruse, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that's the same with um, in the NBA, the LeBron-Kobe debate and all that, and you find out they were really, really you know, close friends. And I think as long as you're a decent human being off the field, a lot of times these great guys, they see each other so often at Pro Bowls and um, you know, off-season events and games, obviously, that you have nothing to do but to become friends if you are a decent human being. So um, I know a lot of the play gate stuff gets everyone riled up, and it should because obviously cheating should be allowed in the NFL, but as far as like criminal things, you know, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady had never done anything to the point where you're like, okay, this is a bad human. So it doesn't surprise me that they're friends and um, that maturity has kind of shined through over the years. James, if Indianapolis is able to beat New England, and I do think that they – I think actually because they ask us all the time for like predictions, I think I'm just going to predict 7-6. Colts win 7-6. <laughs> Am I off base there? No, no, I don't think you're all base. I think you're actually correct on that one, Jake. <laughs> because it could be kind of ugly, right? Actually, and I say that partially because I don't think the forecast is great, right? Um, and it's going to be an interesting game. But assuming the Colts are able to beat New England, it's going to be because they do what? That's the question I ask a lot of people in previewing games. The, the area the Colts want to exploit of New England or take advantage of and have New England exploit of them is what? Turnovers. They're uh, 4-0 when they win the turnover battle and uh, 0-5 when it's even or a negative. So they have to create turnovers to give themselves either points like Kenny Moore did last week or short field where you're not relying on Gardner Minshew to drop back 30 times. Because I think the more you have him drop back throughout the game, the more likely he is to just have a turnover. We've seen it. And so I think that that's the key to it. And maybe you know, Zaire comes back and, and forces a fumble or, or the Forrest Buckner gets a strip stack or Kenny Moore gets a pick. Either way, 
you do something like that, and I think good things happen for you um, in the NFL. James, you got your start, or at least one of your big breaks in the world of covering sports, getting an opportunity with the star to cover the Pacers. And last night you highlighted a piece that you had wrote about two years ago regarding the Pacers kind of getting everything handed to them with a shorthanded Milwaukee team. As you revisited that story and you looked at where the Pacers are now, what were your takeaways from last night? Incredible performance. I think that Tyrese Halliburton is making the superstar leap right before our eyes. I think that Benedict Matherin has matured. That was probably the best game of his career. And anytime you can withstand a onslaught from an all-time great like Giannis and win in that fashion and get that stop when you absolutely need it against him, um, I still have a lot of growth for that team, and I think that they're clicking on all cylinders right now. But Tyrese is the key. And what's crazy about him is the efficiency. And so could I have seen this two years ago? Absolutely not. But uh, I think I, my, my biggest takeaway was leaving, you know, watching that game, leaving that game like, okay, I got to figure out how the athletic is going to make me go back to the Pacers. So I'm working on some story pitches right now because it wasn't like covering the Colts. I'm like, I don't want to be left out in the cold when they're doing something special, you know, come playoff time. You know, the interesting thing to me about the Pacers is that late in games, and right now this works, James, and, and I'm fascinated to see how long this works, okay? And by that I mean this. Late in games, when it's crunch time and everybody knows, like last night, Late in the game, everybody knew Giannis is the guy getting the ball, except for that they doubled him. They, as I said earlier, they cut the head off the snake, and then Giannis wasn't able to facilitate for other players for Milwaukee, and Damian Lillard's not out there, and so Indiana wins. For the Pacers, late in games, Tyrese Halliburton wants the ball in his hands away from the basket. But if suddenly that's taken from him, Benedict Matherin is not afraid to go to the basket to get points and score. And Matherin is developing as a guy that's not afraid of the moment. Can a team exist with – can those guys forever exist with one another, both not afraid of the moment but being willing to defer it to the other? Absolutely, because I think it's a team game. You need that. You need guys that are fearless. Um, the thing about Benedict is I think he's become a better playmaker, so he's not forcing as much as he did. As long as he's honest about the game and you read the game the right way, good things happen when that usually is the case. So I think it's a good thing, and I think you're seeing them grow up right before our eyes. And, again, I, I feel like – I don't get too much of a head of myself, but they don't feel like the old, you know, oh, the you know little pacers. They feel like some guys who, if you come in there thinking it's going to be easy or – you're going to just, you know, uh, walk over them or get this easy win. None of that is happening anymore because I couldn't believe two years ago watching them lose to the Bucks without, you know, Giannis, without Chris Middleton, without a bunch of guys. And then you look at it last night, I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, Dame Miller wasn't out there, but, you know, Giannis had a huge game. They still had a chance to, to, to prove themselves, and they did. And, I, again, I think Tyrese Halliburton is the key. Um, he's, the, he's the guy who, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to think, could he be the best player on a championship-caliber team? Uh, and it certainly looks like the best on a playoff team. James, last thing on my end, Jake had you go behind the curtain earlier. I would like you to go behind the curtain one more time if you don't mind. What is your setup for this early 930 kick? Take us through game day for you on Sunday covering this team. I really don't know, to be honest. I've kind of just been out here vibing, you know, flowing and, and, and seeing what's, what's happening. But for us, it won't be that bad because it is an afternoon game. So I'll actually get up and have the same pretty much routine that I've always had, get there about an hour and a half, two hours early, probably a little bit earlier because it's a unique stadium. If I want to walk around and see some things, I will. But um, it's pretty routine for me. The jet lag hasn't really 
um, affected me too much. I feel like, you know, how I feel when I fly to Vegas or something like that. So I um, felt good on the plane, made it over safely, and i um, just really grateful for the opportunity, man. I, I didn't never think I was ever going to be in Germany working, and um, it's an awesome experience so far. I'm looking forward to bringing you all some, uh, some coverage that kind of brings this to life on your end. Now, when did you get over? Got over this morning, actually, and uh, been here since about 12 in the afternoon. So you, okay, so I'm presuming that means you flew in a red eye, right? Yeah, basically, up flew overnight from Newark, New Jersey, to over here to uh, Germany. So here's the key, James. You got to plug through. You got to stay up until probably nine o'clock tonight, and then crash out, and then get up at like nine o'clock their time tomorrow, and you'll be then your body clock set. That's the key. Oh but, yeah. But you're gonna yeah, trust everyone's me. Everyone's been telling me that. Well, before, actually, I, I so it. I guess right now it's what eight thirty over there. Yep, I'm about to get something to eat, and we'll figure it out from there. But I don't go to bed early anyway, so I'll be fine. Well, I know, but I'm telling you, man, it, like, it does hit you eventually. I'm, I'm the biggest night owl on the planet. But did you get any sleep on the flight over? Yeah, I actually sleep very good on planes. So I slept pretty much – I stayed up for an hour to watch one episode of a show, and after that I was out for the other seven hours of my flight. So yeah, you're good fine then. You're good. Over. Yeah, James, I fell asleep yep. in a booth in Paris and not because I had too much just because I was so exhausted it hit me at like 8 o'clock local time and I was out so I'm glad you were able to get some sleep on the flight we don't need you passed nah, out in the press box good, man. <laughs> <laughs> nah nah gotta work gotta work alright James appreciate it enjoy it and I, I learned this yesterday hello in Germany is hello so just say hello to everybody and you're good alright sounds good appreciate you Jake I right, appreciate you. it yeah, see that, that time he, he acknowledged I was there thank you James I miss you too James we got there in the end the athletic. that's right it took a while unlike Jeff it came around right exactly yeah. Jeff wants more callers listen I'd love more callers I like, I like callers you know what I mean I would argue especially after Colts games we're very big on the callers but Jeff wouldn't know that because he only listens for a 5 or 10 minute drive window and it takes well, that, time to call in about Michigan. That's my only thing. I, there, he had fair critiques, for sure. He did. But to call in and say, you're talking about a topic that nobody cares about and it and it doesn't have in like it doesn't bring any interest in anybody. It's the definition been, of a polarizing topic. But I've been waiting forever yes. to be able to call in about it. Correct. Okay. You need to talk about the Colts and Pacers. Were you listening to the first 90% of the program when we talked about the Colts and the Pacers? Well, no, I just got in my car. Uh, okay. I mean... You know what I mean? Hang that, around that, with us, Jeff. We're going to get there. That that's kind of the the tough sell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's 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 kind of like watching the Sixth Sense and then going, "You didn't tell me Bruce Willis is dead." Well, you got to wait till the end there. You know what I mean? <laughs> he should act it alive. Why, why didn't they show him in like in doing life stuff? Well, that's if you only saw the last five minutes. Why is it about a dead guy? Well, you know, you got you got to go in totality. Um, I'm really torn on my score prediction, but I I want to just say seven six. But the Colts have scored twenty in every game, right? So you can't just say that. I don't know if we're waiting until the end of the show or not, but Colts by double figures. So 11 nothing, 10 nothing, <laughs> 10 nothing is what you're going? No, I have both teams scoring. Safety? 13-2? Are you going 13-2? <laughs> I mean, the Patriots feel like their offense just feels anemic, right? Not Bryce Young level. We haven't even gotten into that. Did you watch that last night? No. I mean. No, I did not. And I guess, did Amazon have problems again last night? I'd heard a little bit. There's always some complaints on Twitter, but again, I didn't was calling a high school game, not an opportunity to. Oh, who'd you have? Uh Ron Colley and Covenant Christian, girls basketball. And the winner was? The Royals. That's Ron Colley, Ron sorry, Colley, my right? bad. Yeah. Okay. Here's an embarrassing <laughs> question. Sure. 
I apologize to the people of Indianapolis that I don't know this answer. I should. Okay. Covenant Christians nickname. The Warriors. I was going to say, can I guess? Oh, my bad. They're the Warriors? Yeah. I would think that it would be more theologically based. Maybe they're playing off the Holy Wars. I mean, that's got to be it, right? But like Crusaders, Saints, you know, that kind of thing. A Although I guess local Catholic schools that have Warriors. I guess, actually, I guess none of the local Catholic schools, is there- Great schools, anyway. None of the local Catholic schools have a theological nickname, right? Lutheran is Saints, right? Is Lutheran yes. is Saints. Yep. There you go. Thank you. I knew that. So, uh, Heritage is the Eagles, right? Yep. Then you got the Cathedral Irish, Chatard Trojans. Rebuff Braves. Jesuit Braves. Braves. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, we'll come back. We'll take a look around college football in particular in the schedule upcoming for the weekend and then get our predictions, not only Jimmy's plays of the day, but our predictions for the Colts and Patriots as well. By the way, somebody tipped me off to this. And I forgot Cecina Crusaders. My buddy Paul the Mailman is probably ashamed I didn't think of Cecina. I think Cecina is kind of a cool little school, by the way. It's a cool little neighborhood school. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, Indiana Christian Academy. They're the Whirlwinds. That's a great name. It is kind of a cool name. What do you think? The, it says um, the athletic program rounds out a person in the areas of physical growth, mental focus, social interaction, and spiritual encouragement. I guess it's all kind of a whirlwind of stuff that happens to you at that age, right? Is that why they're called the Whirlwinds? Man, they don't want to be the Tornadoes. They chose whirlwinds instead. More unique. I don't know. There's been there have been two different teams in Indiana known as the Tornadoes, by the way. There was a soccer team and then a, a semi-pro football team known as the Tornadoes. And they might have been the Twisters, the football team. Um, but mascot names fascinate me, obviously. But whirlwinds is – I'll give them credit. Like, it's not easy to come up with one that's not used elsewhere, right? And whirlwinds, I would imagine, they're like the only whirlwinds out there. I'm going to modify it. Whirlwind – Tornado, Cyclones, in that order. Cyclones is good. Yeah. Um, in terms of that genre. Do you know the difference between a uh, cyclone and a hurricane? Isn't it where it takes place? Correct. A cyclone is a hurricane that takes place in the, what, eastern hemisphere, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah. the southern, maybe it's southern hemisphere as opposed to northern hemisphere. Um, the I think I told you, a buddy of mine works for Portland State University in portland oregon and the two schools with which they most compete to try to get to draw in students are the oregon state beavers and the oregon ducks and he has petitioned for the university to nickname themselves the portland state platypus because that is like a beaver with a duck beak and so they're just taking i love both. it i think it's great but i don't think it'll happen not getting off the ground right. uh college football this weekend you know it it seems shocking to say this because they have been so down and it has been so, their mediocrity has been such a subject matter in particular even on this program but indiana oh please yes i did this on monday indiana is 3 wins from bowl eligibility but jimmy look at their schedule i asked don fisher this on monday i said don i know basketball season's here i'm very excited for it but with their win over Wisconsin, did IU football just pick themselves up off the mat and suddenly, despite everything that's happened, have a pathway to a bowl game? And you look at the schedule and you can make an argument. I'm not saying it's going to happen, 
but you could well, make an argument for it. Jimmy, uh, look, their biggest challenge might be – I had lunch with Don Fisher yesterday because – or actually breakfast because uh, Don was honored – he was one of the guests at the annual Daymar. And again, I want to thank Daymar not only for their work and their commitment in central Indiana to, um, you know, taking the emphasizing the ability in people that are labeled as having disabilities. And Daymar does a fabulous job of empowering people throughout the city of Indianapolis, the state of Indiana in general. Um, and yesterday during their, their breakfast, Don Fisher was one of the, the key guests. And we sat, I sat at the table with Don and we were talking about the fact that. If you look at their last three games, it, it 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 seems favorable for Indiana because of the fact that the three teams that they they finished with. I mean, between you know Michigan State is in total disarray. Yep. I know you know Illinois. I know it's at Illinois and they've got a good running game, but you know Illinois is coming off a game where they're trying to pick up the pieces in their own right. They're four and five, so Illinois also is playing for bowl eligibility. But they're coming off the game. Actually, I take that back. They beat Minnesota. But, you know, losing to Wisconsin, who Indiana just beat. And then you got Purdue. The biggest challenge for Indiana might be the fact that they would have to win the bucket game for Purdue, who would not be bowl eligible, but would be playing to try to knock Indiana out of bowl eligibility. And it's in Ross A. So, obviously, I love the battle for the old Oaken Bucket. As an IU alum, I appreciate the rivalry there. But where it's at its best, I would argue, and I know the school that is out of contention would disagree with this. In this case, it's Purdue. I loved when that game came down to if you're going down or if we're going down, we're taking you with us. And that's effectively what that game might be. It amps up every aspect of that matchup because you're sitting there and I use had the opportunity to do this to Purdue sometimes too, where, okay, well, we're not going anywhere, but... <laughs> We're certainly not letting you come into Ross Aid and take the bucket, but additionally, we're not letting you get bowl eligibility right. from us. Totally. Um, you know the the slate of games in general this this weekend in college football. It does, feel, Jimmy. I, I think the thing that's fascinating with college football this year is, in terms of the college football playoff, part of the interest is the fact that there's not really any great storylines of interest thus far in terms of the. The tops, you know, usually it's like topsy turvy nature heading down the home stretch. There's like seven or eight teams that are all unbeaten. It seems pretty clear, does it not? I think Michigan and Ohio State are barring disaster, okay? Barring disaster for either of the two of those. If Michigan and Ohio State are both undefeated heading into the Michigan Ohio State game, I think they both get in. Look, I understand this goes against all of this region. I get it. But Washington's kind of getting the double bird from the committee at this point. And if they stay undefeated, I would want them in over well, Ohio State or Michigan. If Washington stays undefeated, yeah. I, I, but here's the If Washington stays undefeated, they're in, right? I would think so. Naturally, I think if you have of that caliber, and they have some signature wins on their resume already, if you have of that caliber four teams that are undefeated and it's a one-loss Michigan or a one-loss Ohio State, I think you give the nod to Washington personally like i think if you're still undefeated yeah it's a non-starter they don't so have a bunch of cupcake cupcake games this november either like they're put they're gonna play some tough teams yeah. to get undefeated well i think washington okay would washington have to play oregon in the pac-12 championship game 
I like, think it is. With, I think it is top two. I don't. They don't have divisions out there. Definitely I think top that's two. Correct. So then, what happens if those two play and Oregon beats them, and then you're like, okay, they split. Yeah. Do, you know, do they cannibalize each other? I think so. If if the, if you're looking at how much does the committee love or care about the Pac-12, they would cannibalize one another. Yeah. So Georgia's in, right? Yeah. So Georgia's in. If if what if Washington wins the Pac-12 undefeated, they're in. Yes. Because the win over Oregon would catapult them right there, right? And then it just comes down to if Florida State's unbeaten, Florida State's in, and then the winner of Ohio State-Michigan. But if Florida State or Washington either one lose, then I could see. In other words, if you have either – give me the team between Michigan and Ohio State that you think is going to win, Jimmy. Ohio State. Okay. So one loss Michigan, I think, gets in over one loss Oregon. Washington or one loss Oregon, assuming that the one loss yeah. of those two is cannibalized. Based on other. just the rankings are at right now, Ohio State one, Georgia two, Michigan three, Florida State four, Washington is undefeated right now. And they are not in that conversation, despite the fact that you could make an argument maybe against Michigan, maybe against Ohio State. If you add one loss into the equation, nothing changes other than, oh, they both have a loss. Yeah, the Big Ten is clearly going to get the nod over the Pac-12 if there's a conversation about identical records. Now, Florida State, Florida State's the one to me that has, their schedule is favorable, right? Correct. But they're also the one to me that if they stumble at all, it's over. No question. Florida State is the one that they're waiting to kick out, right? I mean, Florida State, they're like, look, you're Florida State. If Florida State right now had the exact, I'm telling you, and I really, I really like Florida State's coach. I do. And I like Florida State. I think they've got – Florida State merits where they are. Don't get me wrong. But if Florida State right now had the exact same schedule, the exact same resume, the exact same record, and they were North Carolina State, they're ranked ninth. Yes. The brand of Florida State is part of why they're there. Sure. So they're getting benefit of the doubt. But – They are a good team as well. But yes, you're right. That is carrying some weight. They are a good team. There's no doubt they're a good team. But let's look at their schedule. If you look at Florida State's schedule, okay – and you look at their remaining schedule of areas where they could stub their toe. Miami this week, not a given. I, I don't, and then North Alabama and at Florida. Miami can't throw the ball is the problem. You sit back in a zone look. and Florida State's win against LSU is obviously impressive, right? Yes. And they beat them resoundingly, but it was week one. Doesn't carry as much weight as it did. Since then, exactly. then, winning at Clemson, and they had to do it in overtime, and that was as much about Clemson probably losing that game because they made a boneheaded decision with 90 seconds to go. And then winning against Duke, does that carry weight anymore? Not really. Not the way it looked like it would the first Correct. Month of the season. And then outside of that, they're, they're, I mean, they beat Southern Miss, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, ugh, right? <laughs> so they do have an opportunity to kind of punch themselves a little bit in terms of their ticket or solidify it with wins. Again, Miami, a team that has grossly probably underachieved this year compared to where they were supposed to be. But Miami's at 6-3, and and if Miami – if you beat Miami and then Miami beats Louisville, for example, and Boston College, then you're still beating a team that has eight wins, including over Louisville down the stretch, which I guess is impressive. Man, what a story that would be if in his return year he's already knocked out Notre Dame because they don't have divisions either. It would be Florida State-Louisville if the championship was today. Jeff Brom takes out the best of the ACC – as they're so known to do year after year. And then you have the door open for Washington, the door open for Oregon, depending on how things play out. There's still conversations about Alabama, too. I mean, this thing is... 
even though I don't know that I necessarily agree with the rankings are right now, this thing could get squirrely depending on how the next couple Here's weeks Here's my play only out. thing with Louisville. Okay. Growing up, I was an Indiana basketball fan. And Louisville was kind of my second favorite college basketball program. I just I liked Denny Crum. He kind of looked like my dad. I hated Kentucky, and Louisville was a natural rival. I liked Purvis Ellison in that group. They won 72-69, by the way, in 1986 in Reunion Arena in Dallas over Duke in the national championship game. I don't know how I know that, but the other semifinalists were Kansas and, uh, let me see, LSU, who was uh, an 11 seed. But I've always kind of liked Louisville. And then Louisville football, you know, Howard Schnellenberger was there. I didn't didn't follow him as much. I mean, it was a basketball school, right? But I had buddies that lived in Louisville, ate a lot at the Twig and Leaf at 2 o'clock in the morning, went to the Phoenix, went to Ditto, spent a lot of time in Bardstown Road. I like Louisville. But then I went to a Louisville football game for the first time like six years ago when Clemson was down there. Okay? Every guy, every Louisville football fan, I'm not trying to stereotype, but I'm going to stereotype. Every guy in Louisville at the football game was wearing chunky jeans. Do you know what chunky jeans are? I don't the, think so. Chucky jeans are the jeans that were big in like 2005, and they all were like designer brands. They're like $95, and they have the huge stitched back pockets, and then like the stitching okay, going sure. down the leg, and you know, whatever. Those are chunky jeans, right? Little rhinestone on them. They were cool for like, I don't know, seven weeks, like in 2006. So this is like in 2015, and a bunch of guys are wearing those, and then like the shoes that are actually, they look like cowboy boots, but they're really shoes, like the pointed shoes yeah. that go with it, and then like the Ed Hardy Affliction t shirts that are too small. And real thin little beards. That was every single guy at, at the Louisville game. It was the weird. It was literally like bizarro world. Like I, I mean, literally, I, I thought I was going to a Clemson Louisville game, and I clicked my my heels three times together, and before I knew it, I was at a 2006 Nickelback show. It was the weirdest thing ever. Were they nice to you? Uh, they were okay. okay. I mean, Clemson Clemson beat them. It was. Yeah. It might have been Lamar Jackson. Um, his first or second year of the two, of the years that he was down there, but that's the game where I met my buddy Tony, who's now who, who's become the guy that gives me my tickets to Clemson uh, at that game. So I have that to be thankful for. Yeah, nobody was rude to me by any stretch of the imagination. I just like I, I don't know, man. It was like the weirdest thing ever for me that it, literally, like I, I. By the way, do we have Creed tickets to give away? Speaking of that, a natural segue. We do have tickets for Creed to give away. It's August tenth at Ruoff. Caller number four, I believe Nathaniel Atticus Finch has said he would like, right? Caller number four, 239-1070. If you are listening to the program right now and you want to call in for Creed tickets and you're not named Jeff, then have at. Caller number four. Before we do that, though, or while we're doing that, I guess I should say, because call in right now, but you also want to be listening because it is time, Jimmy, for your picks of the day. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my this is how I win. Starting first in college football, we'll lay four and a half on Michigan as they're on the road at Penn State at a noon kickoff tomorrow. In the NFL, Niners over the Jaguars, Lions over the Chargers. We'll scoop the six. Texans plus six on the road against Cincinnati on Sunday. Colts over the Patriots straight up. And Jonathan Taylor as an anytime touchdown scorer. Jake, did you submit your prediction for Colts pass or are you sticking with your 7-6 no I was gonna go with that and then I thought you know what the Colts usually score 20 so 20 to 14 Colts I went Colts by double digits 27-17 Colts over New England now have we checked the conversion rate on that what that means in German well I think it's uh let's see so Colts is Colts 
27 is 27 and, and 17 is 17. That's right. You know, the uh, all I know is this. Uh, the pound to dollar ratio doesn't work in your favor, and I know that because <laughs> when the rental car company tries to charge you 700 pounds, it's a lot more than that in dollars. Actually, I think it was 560 pounds and then more than that. I still dollars. don't understand. I know we don't have time, and I want to get to a couple more Colts things out of the gate, but you had the evidence. It's clearly marked. I don't understand. And it says on the on the form, <laughs> the form that they showed me, it says – the renter accepts responsibility and signs here, and yep. it's blank. And I'm like, I didn't sign anything. Do you think that Bernard Ryman, this was this popped up somewhere on Twitter earlier this week, you think that he finds the end zone? You think you reward him in what is kind of a homecoming? Do you think he finds the end zone? Well, you could always do the lineman eligible play, right? Exactly. Or you hope for a fumble at the goal line and Jeff Friday level scoring. We'll say design to play. Do you know actually what Bernard Ryman is in German? What is it? Bernard Ryman. Wow. Interestingly enough. That's one of the things we learned. <laughs> I, I think it'll be, you know, look, it's going to be fun. The game starts at what time on Sunday? 9.30. So that's kind of fun, right? You get up. The best part about it is if the Colts win, it's great for fans because if they win, then it's like noon on Sunday and you got time, you got the rest of your day and you're not worried about like, the, you know, I mean, you're, you're happy because they won and you got the whole day to do stuff, which is kind of cool. Coverage begins right on these very airways, 6.30. AM here on the fan. Man. Getting you set. Uh John, by the way, is James, where did you say that John is today? Uh, Chaparral. Chaparral is where John is today for Blue Friday. And then of course Colts Happy Hour coming up at six o'clock today, getting you set for everything taking place in Germany on Sunday between the Colts and the Patriots. Thanks again to Eddie Gill earlier for his time and talking about the Pacers. Big win last night for the Pacers. Obviously, they've got the 76ers coming up this weekend. That game is going to be on Sunday. You can hear it at 5:30 right here with Mark Pat and everybody from and Eddie from the Colts or the excuse me, the Pacers Radio Network. So you folks have a wonderful weekend we will be back and we will talk about it all coming up at noon on monday and much to the wishes and the joy of jeff we might actually take a couple of phone calls about what takes place as well you folks have a wonderful remainder of or wonderful weekend i should say it's querying company